Savage CBD strives to help people by offering top quality, lab-tested, natural CBD at affordable pricing. And it really is affordable. Whether you're new to CBD or have been using it for years, you can always count on all-natural, hemp-derived CBD with the purest ingredients. Savage CBD carefully tests each batch to ensure quality, consistency, taste, and authenticity. They pride themselves on their transparency and believe that you should know exactly what goes into your favorite CBD products. With Savage CBD, you can choose from a range of premium CBD lotions, creams, tinctures, gummies, and so much more. When you look at their website, there are thousands of happy customers who've reported incredible results after using CBD to supplement their daily routine. Overall, Savage CBD's goal is to create the products that empower you to maintain your balanced lifestyle. Whether you need some extra shut-eye at night or you need to find some more calm throughout your day, you can count on Savage CBD to help you reach that goal. And guys, just for listening to this podcast, you can save 20% on your first purchase of CBD when you use our code BRAD20. So go ahead, my friends, start your CBD journey with Savage, and they'll be there to support you with every step of the way. Simply visit SavageCBD.com to redeem 20% off your first purchase of CBD by using code BRAD20 and see why thousands of people are using CBD. Now, Kelly, I've been a CBD user for a little while. I use it when I'm out on the disc golf course. It helps me relax. It's great with muscle aches and pains, and it's really kind of replaced ibuprofen for me. So uh, anybody that's listening to this, guys, check out Savage CBD. We thank them for being a supporter of the Noel Family Foundation, the Bradley's House podcast, and we hope you'll support them as well. Hey, everybody. This is Todd Z-Man Zalkins letting you know you are listening to the Bradley's House podcast. Hey guys, you must be here for the party. Come on in, make yourself at home as you should when you're a guest at Bradley's house, the podcast. You guys are here for our one year anniversary celebration and here at the Bradley's house podcast, we're having a punky reggae party of our own. <laughs> Although this one is not going to cost you $5 at the door. However, if you are willing to spend $5 at the door, go ahead and click the link in our description right down there and it'll get you to all of our spots where you can make a donation to the Noel family foundation benefiting Bradley's house directly. But for those of us who have been helping and supporting and donating throughout the year, Welcome and get ready for an awesome, action-packed, super fun episode. Kelly, you were able to put something special together. We talked about this. What are we going to do? Um, I, you sent me an email. You said, hey, we're having this this big anniversary celebration. So I got my tux out. I got it all ironed <laughs> up. I got my cummerbund bedazzled. I got it up in my midsection, right between my belly button and my titties, just how I like it. I was nice. looking good. And I find out that it, we're just doing Zoom, but that's okay. I kept it on. I kept it on anyway. Kelly, I, I, I joked about this before, but I once was, I once was married for only six months and we've made it one year on Bradley's house. We have, and I can't believe you brought that up, but first of all, sorry, never Kim. apologize for being fancy. 
So super happy that you're all dressed up and fancy. But um, yeah, I get, you know, my condolences about the marriage. But yes, I'm very proud of us for making it a year and so grateful to all the listeners that have allowed us to make it a year because obviously if nobody was listening, we would have stopped a long time ago. But it's been a lot of fun and I'm really glad you talked me into it. And um, and hopefully we're doing some good, spreading the word about, you know, about um, – addiction and the hope of recovery and um, the power of of destigmatization and just realizing that we're all human beings and we all struggle with something, whether people can see it or not. And for those whose struggle is a bit more out in the open, it's okay. We accept you. We understand you. We love you for it. Um, get the help that you need so that you can live your best life. And um, and then, of course, you know, also raising money for Bradley's house. And we're so grateful to all the sponsors that we've had over the past 12 months and all of the people who have donated simply because they've listened. It's been really great. And and it's enough to justify us to continue. So thank you to everybody. And thank you to you, Jarrett, and to Anna, our producer, for making this all happen. Oh, gosh. It's uh... – <sighs> I don't even know what to say. Uh, you know, a, a year ago I, I approached you and I had this idea and you were like, no. And then you finally said yes. And you're like, but only every other week, we're only going to do two a month. And then I got us up to every week. So, um, I am, uh, I am extremely, I'm extremely happy and extremely lucky to be able to do this. And, um, for all the people that have reached out throughout the year, I tell everybody the same thing. I'm literally just like the first listener. I'm the first fan. Uh, and a lot of times, as we're having these guests, whether they're awesome musical guests or recovery guests, or uh, I find myself listening to these incredible stories of, of hope and, and just getting to where you need to be. And I forget, like they stop talking and I'm like, Oh shit, that's me. I'm, I, you know, because I get so, I get so caught up in, in yeah. some of these stories and some of these guests. Um, and, uh, it's just been a, it's really been an awesome experience. And, uh, and I look forward to, uh, to rocking out at least another year here, right? Absolutely. We've got some great stuff coming up. In fact, I just spoke with somebody about doing our first episode of the new year. I haven't even told you this. So. I'll be sure to tell you offline, but we've got some great stuff coming up in the in this next 12 months. But, uh, you know, of course, in the new year, some exciting things as well. So I sure hope people continue to stay tuned and rate and review us because, of course, that helps with sponsorships and the sponsorships all go directly to Bradley's house. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. Absolutely. And, uh, and like you said, it's been, uh, it's been an amazing year and it's just, uh, it's so great to see all of your comments. We see all of the YouTube comments. Mm -hmm. Um, we, you know, we, we see all of the comments, Rafa. It just, it's really awesome to know that there's so many people and kind of like what we thought would happen did happen, Kelly. I mean, there's so many people from so many different worlds that, uh, that listen to, that listen to this podcast and, um, whether they're music fans or people that are going through recovery or have been through recovery or have a loved one going through recovery. It's just been, uh, it's been really cool. And, uh, and I can't thank everybody enough for, yes. for listening and, and tuning in. And, uh, the Noel family foundation, because of you guys, um, you know, every day we get a little bit closer, uh, of course, you know, we need all the help and support that we can possibly get. So, um, the link is always going to be in the description, um, for you guys to share. Uh, if you can donate a dollar, we've got the Venmo and the cash app on there. Um, all of it goes a, a really long way. And every day we're a little bit closer to getting Bradley's house open. 
Absolutely. In fact, I get this question a lot. Our budget to open and operate for the first year is just over $755,000. And right now we have just over $220,000. So we're almost a third of the way there, which is super exciting. It's been such a grassroots effort. And seriously, everybody who's ever bought a piece of merchandise or made a donation, you're all a part of making this happen. And it's a tremendous legacy. And I'm so excited to be doing it with such a wonderful community. Oh gosh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's really been cool. And because you guys have been so amazing, um, Kelly has reached out to, uh, some guests that you've heard on the podcast before. Uh, and some of the folks that you guys have constantly been asking questions about and some of the episodes that are the highest viewed. Uh, so what we did was, uh, we reached out and we said, Hey, would you guys answer some questions? They said yes. You guys saw our posts on social media, whether it was through the Knoll Family Foundation, um, the Bradley's House page. Um, I posted them in a bunch of the Sublime groups. You guys sent in emails, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, we were able to sit down with uh, Kelly's father and Brad's father, of course, um, kind of the guy that is responsible for all of this, uh, Papa Jim Knoll, and uh, he answered some of your questions. Uh, of course, we had uh, Jacob on. Oh, my God. What a treat. Wait till you guys hear this. Um, we had a chance to sit down and chat with Miguel. Kelly, when is it not fun chatting with Miguel? Oh, my God. We, we joke about it, but we seriously could have him on every week. He He's so much fun to talk with. And um, the time just flies by. <laughs> so, yeah, it was really great to, to be able to talk with him again and, and have him answer some of the questions. And uh, and and a really powerful chat with uh, with your close friend and family cl close friend uh, Todd Zalkins, the Z Man. Um, oh, we yeah. had we had some awesome questions that came in for him. So um, Kelly and I are on opposite ends of the country. Our producer isn't in the country. Um, and, uh, we've, we've been running around the last few days to get these interviews done. So, um, we are going to have them all set up with you guys. All of the questions are here and, uh, we thank you for submitting them all. We got them all. We, uh, we had some audio questions. It was just really a lot of fun. And Kelly, thank you for setting it up because I know your schedule is crazy and everybody that we had has a crazy schedule. Um, yes. Well, other than your dad, I think he's probably just kind of loving life right now. Um, <laughs> but everybody else is, is, you know, is busier than a one-armed man hanging paper. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it was amazing to be able to get them all together and, was, uh, sure. and, and ask the questions. You guys had amazing questions. So, uh, without any further ado, here are some of your questions for some of our past guests on Bradley's house. Thank you so much, and I hope you guys enjoy them. I'm going to start with one that we got from Instagram, and this came from uh, JillBug17. And Jill, I, you have about 13 questions in here, but I'm going to pick apart a few of them and, uh, and let Jake get to it. The first one, uh, which I thought was kind of cool, was uh, did you go into music, Jake, because you, you loved it, you had a calling for it originally, or did you kind of feel like – well, my dad was a musician and all these people that hang out that were his friends were musicians. So I'm a musician. Yeah, no, I, I see. I love, I love questions like this. Cause um, you know, I think it, I think it is kind of a, if I do say so myself, you know, sort of like a, an interesting story, you know, um, 
just because uh, it is a it's sort of the a weird situation versus how a normal person I think would get into music, um, and maybe not for the better, <laughs> you know? Because I think most people are like, okay, I love listening to music. I want to make the music that I like listening to. I want to start a band because I have these friends who make music. We're gonna have a good time. Um, I think that's how a lot of you know musicians start but uh i i wouldn't say that it really uh started like that for me um i i really you know i, I was so surrounded by music growing up that it kind of was not i kind of didn't really listen to anything on my own because um it's sort of you know when your parents really like something you want to do the opposite so everyone around me was so into to music and cult that kind of culture that i, I was very a reverse from it. I always tell people I saw the movie Tenacious D and it made me understand it. <laughs> That's still true to this day. <laughs> and I, I remember being 12 and I was like, this is awesome. But, um, but still I was kind of putting the cart before the horse. And that's sort of been like the, uh, the story of my entire music career. You know, I mean, I, th- I think, uh, you know, your dad runs a, a business or something. You take up the family business. That's definitely an element of it. It seems like a, a path that's laid out. It's like, well, I could, I could attempt to try this. It wouldn't be the worst idea in the world while I'm going to school. Um, but every musician I've ever worked with, I never felt like I was exactly, it was partly imposter syndrome, like, oh man, I'm not on their level. But also like, I, I don't consider myself a, a musician as much as I consider myself a performer and entertainer. Um, mm-hmm. I think I started as just, I like writing songs and, you know, Maybe this will be a good idea, a good choice. Let's just see how this goes. And then once I performed, that's what I fell in love with. I fell in love with the crowd. I fell in love with, you know, uh, storytelling. I fell in love with the writing aspect. And um, as I continue down in this industry, those are the those are the areas I excel in the most, especially with the current project law. You know, it really is like a two person writing project. You know, I I write, you know, a lot of the the melodies and the progressions of material. And then Aiden, my partner, he, he arranges it and, you know, really uh, teases out and, and puts in the musicality of, of it to make it into like an actual song instead of like a compilation of melodies. So that's kind of a long roundabout way of saying no, I guess, <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely a kind of a weird way for someone to get into music. But you've grown into it. And I love what you said about, you know, being a performer because that really is something I think when people see you guys live, they're always impressed with your stage presence. And um, so I think that definitely comes through. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that's, that's definitely what we're going for is like a, a live experience. That's um, mm. always what I what I put first and foremost. Yeah, I, I can say that from, you know, I saw you play in 2015. Um, I saw Law at the at Alex's uh, for the uh, memorial show, and I oh, just remember. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. I just nice. remembered thinking, like, man, this this kid owns this stage right now, <laughs> and this it, like this entire audience is just like in awe watching, and the poor kid's been sitting out in his damn van for the last three hours because he's not allowed in the fucking bar because he's not 21 yet. Um, so it was, uh, it it was just, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely amazing to, to see how you got up there and just owned that audience in that stage. So, uh, for anybody who thinks that, you know, Jake's just phoning it in because his last name is Noel, that is certainly not the case. Mm Um, he is, he is definitely going about it his own way. Uh, so I guess a follow-up question on that, Jake, because I heard you say, you know, 
um, a, a lot of times when people are pushing stuff on you, you know, your parents, oh, this is great. No, it's not. That's not for me because you like it and you are not cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now that you're starting to get a little, a little older and you're starting to uh, get more into the music, do you find yourself opening up more to Sublime's music and, and listening to it a little bit more and taking a, a different appreciation for it than you did when you were a kid? You know, it's funny. I mean, I always, it was always so much in the background. Like it was playing all the time growing up. I think that's one of the unique things about um, my situation. I mean, obviously very tragic, uh, but more so for all the people in his family that, that knew him when he was alive. But um, I think a lot of kids grow up with, without a dad or a mom, you know, it's not uncommon to, to lose a parent before you get to know them. But I was actually in a, in a lucky situation. Sometimes I look at it like that because he left behind uh, stuff to remember him by. It's very special, very, very emotional, you know? So um, it, I always had some sense of who my dad was just from his music. And I still kind of do to this day. And I think that's where, so it was always there and I was always familiar with the catalog and stuff. But um, I think uh, today it, there, there's always that weird duality when it comes to me in, in talking about the topic of, of Sublime, right? Because the new appreciation I have for today is that, like, you know, I, I realize how just awesome and how much fun they had writing that music. And I can just you, anyone can pick that up if you just listen to it. They're just all the they have so many group in references and just, you know, sometimes like an irreverence for any kind of other thing, just, just doing what they loved. And that's so infectious. Hmm. And, um, that's something to really uh, connect with. And for me, the other side of it is whenever I hear the music and I start to think about it, it's really hard not to cry because <laughs> it's be really emotional because it, it is like, you know, connecting with this person where it's like, you know, everyone's got mm -hmm. that whole psychological thing with, with their parents and stuff. So it becomes a sort of um, sort of kind of kind of journey in that respect. But the, 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 the dark side of it, too, is kind of I think people assume that I should just know all the songs like. It's funny. Last <laughs> night I, I uh, performed with Pennywise. I got to perform one of my dad's songs. Same, same in the end, I think it is. Um, what? Yes. And it was really cool. And lots of fun. Good meeting the dudes from that band. I know there's that hit. I, I went backstage and I was like, man, I know like everybody here. There's a lot of the Sublime and Long Beach family. But what was funny is that that morning is when they asked me to, to do it. And they're like, oh yeah, play this song. <laughs> or the other manager did. <laughs> And I was like, well, what song is that? I looked it up. I'm like, oh, it's a Sublime song. <laughs> I'm like, oh, obviously. Yeah. Like, I had heard it before, but I'm like, I don't know these words. And this is, there's a lot of words here. This is really difficult. And when I went on stage, I had to have my phone out. And I, I, I had this, like, to be frank, like this horrible sense of like guilt and imposter syndrome and embarrassment. Like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm not professional. They're going to think I'm not good enough. And then there's this level of like, well, well, how do you not know these songs, Jake? How do you not know? I'm like, I'm sorry, I wasn't born downloaded with right. all the information of Sublime like into my DNA. It doesn't work like, like right. what does your dad do? Oh, he's an accountant. Okay, go go repeat to me all of the statements he made last quarter. You know, give me go, right. go rewrite all of his paperwork. Oh, your dad made sandwiches. Okay, make me his favorite sandwich exactly how he made it. You know, it's just yeah, it's just silly to think that. But when when art is involved in music, um, uh, there there's that element of of it being very personal. So. Uh, I think nowadays to answer the question, finally, yeah, I do appreciate it uh, much more. And it always continues to evolve my relationship with that music. Well, Jake, I honestly think that that is one of the things that 
I most appreciate about your music career is that, uh, and we've talked about this when you were on the show before, we've talked about this several times since then, but you really are playing your music that you want, that you're writing, that you feel. Um, and, you know, you could sell out any any venue around town if you went and said, I'm going to go play my dad's songs. Um, but that's not what you're doing. And you're making amazing music that has your sound on it. And guess what? That's what he did too. So uh, as much as you're not out there playing every song and knowing every note, um, you know, you're doing it kind of like he did and, and doing it the way that you want to do it. And I, I can't respect that enough, man. Thank you so much. I, I really do appreciate that. Question for Papa Noel here. This came in from uh, an email, actually. Um, was wondering if you can remember any specific moment or instance on that trip that you took Bradley to the Caribbean where uh, you said he kind of picked up that reggae sound and vibe. Um, was there a specific instance, the concert? Was there something that, that you remember really kind of setting the light off on him while you were out there? No, we were we were traveling. Uh, you know, we had rented a, a a boat, a sailboat, and we were traveling through the uh, through the uh, Antilles there. And we uh, we were in uh, 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 a little anchorage at, on an island called Beckwe. It's not a very not a very big island, but there was only uh, probably two other musicians on the whole island. They were playing that night, so uh, we invited them to come out to the boat, and uh, they were happy to do that. Uh, because we had an open bar, probably. But anyway, <laughs> I, I I tell you, it, it was it was really interesting because uh, I had a guitar and I couldn't figure out what they were doing and uh, that reggae beat and everything. And uh, uh, Brad just uh, and that the same thing happened uh, uh, with Jake when we were down in uh, in Cuba. Uh, the, in Cuba, on every park and every street corner, it seems like there's there's three or four guys, you know, local guys who are playing. And uh, Jake just uh, uh, recorded them, the, the first ones that we came across. And then he went back to the, the hotel and figured out what they were doing. And after that, he played in every group on every corner we went we went to. And they were all happy to have him, you know. So I guess it's, it's something. I don't know. It it, it didn't strike me, uh, but uh, it's you know lightning struck uh, Brad and his son. That's for sure. Yeah, there's no there's no question that w- whatever happened, it clicked and it worked, and I'm thankful that it did for sure. Yeah, question for me, Gal. I, can, I came- can only answer one question at a time. That much. That's bullshit. I call I call bullshit on that, but we're, we're only going to do it one question at a time. But I think I think you're capable of it. So, uh, okay. So here's a fun question. This came in off of Instagram. Um, this is from Maya I Felix. Wants to know who is Cuball? Uh, I never met Cuball, but he was a, a local Long Beach rapper, and. Uh, he lived in the neighborhood and would pop by and freestyle with Brad and a bunch of other guys. And um, Badass, Badass went on to become a big rapper. That Actually just play. passed away. Yeah, rest in peace. Um, and that was just some crazy night of freestyling. It actually goes on for hours. But Brad just loved that little snippet part, that little, you know, so... We named it after him, although Badass is doing most of the rapping. 
Jeez, I wonder where those hours of freestyles are, Migs. Somewhere. Mm-hmm. We, okay. That's probably, that's probably the best of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, somebody. There's a reason. So, There's a reason. Yeah. You know. Yep. M- Matthew from Facebook. What his his question was really a comment. He said Bradley made Chubby look good. I I hate that. <laughs> people talk about people talk about the dad bod, right? These girls, girls. Oh, the dad bod's so cute. They always say that until you start arguing, and then they're calling you a fat fuck. So I already know <laughs> how that goes. Um, okay, Corey Smith asks. Uh, question for Miguel. It wasn't, it wasn't cool to be vain. Right. When we were serious. It was like yeah. punk rock and grunge. and It wasn't like really cool to be vain. I mean, clean, yeah. Neat, yeah. but not vain. And It, and it was me, just a social thing to us. It wasn't like yeah. a, a, a rocker underground thing. Chubby Brad is, <laughs> Chubby Brad is usually the, just in the general, it had nothing to do with weight. We didn't think about weight or the shirt we were wearing or the shoes. It just wasn't like that, really. It wasn't preconceived. We just had clothes. I, I don't know how to explain it. And then, No, I, I get it. Yeah, you know, if maybe if you were like a ska person, you had suits and, you know, something like that. <laughs> but other than that, we kind of just hung out. It's, it was weird. We never really got to that level of like how kids are today. It's such a crucible question. Every little thing, we just didn't really give it that much thought. Well, I do know for most of his life, Brad just wore whatever was on the floor closest to him when he was getting (laughs) dressed. We all did. I mean, it's just, like I said, you know, they asked the guys in Mudhoney what it was like to spawn the the grunge look. And they said they took a picture of us wearing what we wore that, you know, those were our Mm -hmm. clothes. Yeah. This is what we wore that day. Yeah. Everybody in our town was wearing that day. It's clothes. Yeah. I don't know. So we didn't. We weren't really super vain about shit. Like it's got to be really hard for kids. And my heart, my heart goes out to them because um, all the pressure. Yeah. We, luckily, it was a little bit more. Our focus was just on the music and yeah, you know, just having a good time. And we're always trying to set up events. We always had something on the horizon that was kind of exciting to think, look forward to. Um, and I think that's kind of hard for kids these days. So they, they look, look, you know, looking at imagery on the phone, it's exciting, but um, I, I kind of worry where it's headed. And I feel bad for kids who feel a lot of pressure to look like some supermodel Barbie doll or something. You know, it isn't real. Right. But, um, Great point. What's the next question? All right, we actually had an audio question that was submitted from one of our supporters. Uh, Anna, we got that lined up? Hey, guys, this is Kenny from Anaheim. I'm a big fan of the pod, and huge shout-out to Kelly and Jarrett and everyone over at the Knoll Family Foundation. Sublime's been one of my favorite bands since I first heard them on K-Rock in the 90s. I mean, we got a Sublime Sun tattoo from Opie and a Sublime tribute band called Don't Push. So, my question is for Miguel. Who is singing or freestyling on the bridge of the 40-ounce version of Don't Push at about the three-minute mark? I love that part. And also, I just want to say thank you for your part in Sublime. I know you are a huge factor in the sound and magic of the band, and millions of people love and appreciate you for that, myself included. All right, thanks for doing this. Peace. And thank you for saying all that cool stuff, man, and... uh. That's a great question, and it uh, sounds like you're a really big fan to go pick that out. That's a guy named Adam. 
<laughs> who was the homie he was dating our friend Jules and he uh, loved reggae and uh, Jules and, and uh, Maggie we called her had moved from DC and they went to high school with uh, Dave Grohl <laughs> right so they were you know so they, they knew when he joined uh, Nirvana and all that it was cool he was in Scream wow. they knew he was in Scream yeah. and I think we went and saw him one time he, she actually brought, uh, Maggie brought Dave Grohl to uh, Sublime, so we all met him. That's a true story. At the uh, club, club That's laundry. Fantastic. Wow. I didn't know that. We played to like nine people, oh, yeah. but no they way. were tracking uh, Nevermind in the valley, and he mm. came over and had a few beers. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. That's yeah. awesome. It's, that's some, that's some wow. Worlds Aligned shit right there. But, uh, right. So Adam is part of that because Jules and Maggie were inseparable. They were roommates, two girls, and and that was Jules's boyfriend, and he was our home. We hung out, and so that's <laughs> he nice. came by the studio, and <laughs> that's how it was. But we just threw him on the track. You know what I mean? So, Love it. Yeah, we were five wow. one shot for peace and quality. Pump, pump. We were always having a good time. <laughs> that's what he's talking about, and that's a yeah. I don't. I can't remember nice. his last name. It's a shame. Uh, maybe he'll uh, come up from the surface. Hope you're doing well out there somewhere. Adam. Yeah, I was never sure who that was, actually. I knew it wasn't you. I thought it might have been Marshall, but that's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we, on the original 40-ounce credits on the back, it says Adam Short because he was literally like six foot three. <laughs> he was a tall dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. And so we, we couldn't think of his last name. I think it was Brad. just <laughs> Adam Short, like Martin Short or oh something. Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> This came in from Eric S. on Facebook. Question for Todd. I've been sober for two years now, finally, after six years of trying with relapses every few months. I feel that that life is finally behind me, and I've never felt better. What are some things that you had to do? I had to eliminate a lot of my old friends and things that we would do together, specifically our college football tickets, as I didn't think tailgating sober would work for me. Did you experience any of this, not being able to hang out with an old crowd, do the things that you used to do, and how did you offset that? <laughs> That's a loaded question. So, <clears throat> so there's, a, there's a common thing that's said in recovery. It's that, uh, you know, we have to change just a few things. That's called everything, you know, and um, a lot of it is, it's, you know, we change the places we go, the people we see and the things that, that we do. Um, especially early on in recovery. Don't, I, I, I don't want to, th th this is such a good question. And uh, it sounds to me like this guy, first off, congratulations on your two years of recovery. That's absolutely amazing. And yes. I think that as we move along more, we get a little bit more comfortable uh, in our skin and we aren't so much triggered by drinking, et cetera. But, you know, we have to be careful as far as the environments that we put ourselves in and, uh, my story was I couldn't even really go back to Long Beach for at least, God, 12, 13 months. I think I went and made my amends to Mud Lowther, and I, I made my amends to Papa Noel and, and uh, Janie Noel. But other than that, I, I really just stayed close to my recovery down in Laguna Beach. I don't know if I'm even answering this question very well. In fact, I'd almost like to start over. I think you're doing great, honestly. Um, okay, so could, could he asked – you know, he's finally got a couple of years sober, right? And then, but he's asking about what needed to be changed. Am I right? 
Well, I yeah. guess I guess what he's saying is is he um, he found that he had to kind of eliminate some of his old friends and some of the old stuff. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I guess they had, okay. they had they had they had college football tickets. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he doesn't go okay. do that anymore. And he was wondering if you found yourself in some similar situations. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Okay, so we'll do a little reset here. You know, another real common thing is is to go through. You know, we go through our phones when we're starting to get sober and. My truth is that there was a lot of people, number one, that I don't think I even really knew. And there was people who I knew that were really toxic and it was all fake bullshit friendship to begin with. And just, just, just centered around narcotics and alcohol use for the better part. I was done with all that. And it's not, yeah, Hey, I'm, I'm better than you. It's just, I, I, I'm just trying to do something so different that I can't have that type of, uh, that type of, I don't know, I guess, connection going on in my life. All dealers were gone, uh, things of that nature. But one of the things that's important for me to say is that when we get sober, it talks about it in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, today that man is a free man and he can go anywhere so long as he is willing to maintain a simple attitude. The simple attitude for me interpreted is that my sobriety comes first and I can go anywhere. In fact, this weekend, I'm going to go to Jacob's wedding. And I'm assuming there's probably going to be some drink in there, but there's going to be a lot of sober people and a lot of love. And I'm there to support him and, and, and his new wife in their, in their getting married. So I can go anywhere because I'm a free man today. But, but on my first year of recovery, I was not going to weddings. No, <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> this is a fun question that came in um, and it was kind of for anybody, but we all know that you have that world famous sublime room. Um, do you have? Right. Sorry, this came from uh, William from Facebook. Uh-huh. Uh, question for question for Pop and Old. Do you have a favorite piece of sublime memorabilia? Is there is there something that you would consider the the cream of your collection? <laughs> well, uh, uh, we just uh, we just got a nice uh, uh, deal from Universal there for. Selling 15, 15 million. Is that what it is? 18. 18. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and that's nice to have before that I had one for years. It said 10. So I don't, I don't know what happened, but I guess they finally woke up and decided they ought to give us something else. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, other than that, uh, of course, uh, you know, I have, I have to, uh, end it up with, uh, with, uh, uh, Brad's guitar. And uh, and everybody likes to come and play it. Uh, uh, it uh, uh, you know the the other guitar. You know he was like any other guitar player. You know he must have had a dozen of them. You know uh, laying around the room. And so uh, uh, when when he uh, died, we uh, I gave most of it away to the relatives and things. So I'm not sure who has what anymore. I think Miguel must have something. But. Uh, Anyhow, the, uh, the that that seems to be the one uh, that everybody wants to do is to uh, sit down and strap it on and uh, and play their favorite uh, sublime tune. You know, the world famous brown guitar. Yeah, that's that's that would probably be it. I had a feeling that that's what you would say, but I didn't want to put words into your mouth. Um, <laughs> a question for Miguel uh, Jarrett from Buffalo asks. Um, this year, Sublime had announced that they have sold 18 million records. Now, Miguel, what does that actually mean? Does that mean that 
records or stores, big box stores have ordered 18 million copies from the record company? Is it actually tracked retail over the counter? Are double albums or box albums counted as more than one unit? How's that all break down? Well, um, Papa Jim will, will give a better answer to that one. That math is a little bit past my uh, pay grade. There's some kind of calculus calculation they do with everything you just mentioned. They kind of have a formula yeah. and they stir it all into a pot and it squirts out a million records sold at the other end of the machine. But no, it's not physical. Not by a mile, yeah. no way. A lot of physical it is, certain. though. A lot of it is. <laughs> we The physical cutoff by my accounting kind of stopped around 2005 and I would have to guess we were at about 4 million physical around at that point. So that's still pretty impressive um, to know the physical was still a major force and we were, we still did a lot of units in that. How it's calculated now is just a, it's like a miracle, miracle, what's it? Wonder Burger or whatever, miracle. <laughs> How to get meat at the other end of wood plants, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, there's a know. there's a formula they use for there's a certain number they of use. streams. Yeah, a certain number of streams and downloads equals one album and that kind of thing. Squirts out little miracle patties at the end. <laughs> I'm just wondering because I you know, I've probably I probably account for like one times platinum for all of the times I've had to rebuy the CD. Well, you know so what's crazy and everybody always answer. brings up the best point too is like when they see those plaques invariably all my old friend you know guys 30 years we stay at their on their floor sublime days come by the house and they'll see that and they'll just go but and every single one of those person make like taped it for 100 people you know because that was yeah. true too in the day right right like our cds were like the most pirated by like a mile you know oh, for and sure stolen you know, like Reasty Boys CDs, Chan's Addiction and Sublime CDs in the day would always get stolen. We always thought that was a high, <laughs> a, a high honor to be mm-hmm. the most stealable class of <laughs> music. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a real thing. Like, you know, because I had something about the fan base of those three bands is like, you know, prone to minor klepto moods. <laughs> Right. And and I will say, too, with the most recent, the 18 million, instead of with the RIAA plaques, instead of saying album sold, it now says album consumption. So that's <laughs> See, those are little patties. They squirt yep. those little patties out. You cook them up, they taste just like me. You can't tell the difference. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Question for Todd. This came in from Dave Felson on Facebook. Todd, love the long way back, and I know you speak and have been active in helping people find recovery, but can you expand on what it was like to help Jacob find that recovery, considering your deep roots within the Sublime family and being so close to Brad when the world lost him? Thank you for working so hard and making sure we get to have Jacob around for a long, long time. Well, thank you so much for that question, and I I greatly appreciate you taking the time to watch the film and and I can tell you that with regards to helping Jake, it was a really, you know, I, I, I always want anyone that I work with to have a good life and to get free from addiction, whether it's alcoholism, drugs, or both, whatever. But with Jacob, it, it was such a deeply personal thing for those 
you know, most of the listeners know about my experience with, with losing Brad and how, how traumatizing it was. And I'm not going to make this all about me because it's not about me. It was traumatizing for everyone. It was traumatizing for the Null family, for his wife, for everybody who loved him. And I, I loved him very, very much. And to find out that I couldn't take the call when Brad, shortly before Brad died, it devastated me. And so when a man like Jim Null calls upon me to, to help uh, his grandson, I dropped everything. I cut off so many other commitments with regards to work. Jacob became my entire focus. And, you know, one of the things that's important for me to share with those that are listening is I can't make anybody sober. Nobody can make anyone sober. What, what I can do my very best at is, is, is sharing the common threads that we have with the suffering and the aloneness that we all feel when we're broke down from this disease and how do we get out of it? How do we make changes? How do we possibly grow from this, uh, from this disease that is absolutely fatal left untreated? And so I took it, I probably took it more personal than I should, but then again, we're talking about when it comes to, uh, Papa Noel, who so many of us hold in such high regard, I stopped. What, I basically stopped what I was doing. Is like anything, anything that I can possibly possibly do. You tell me, and I will do it. And that's just the way we roll. That's that's the respect that we have for the Noel family. And I'm thankful that Jacob is sober. And I've taken a long effing way to answer that one, boy. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I, it was it was an amazing answer. I would like to say, too, that anybody who has not seen the Long Way Back documentary absolutely needs to check it out. It is such a powerful film. And for anybody who's a Sublime fan, of course, there's so much Sublime history there. It's a must-see. Anybody in recovery or who has a friend or family member in recovery, there's just there's so many applications to it. And it I hesitated for a long time when you first came out with that film, Todd, to watch it because I knew it was going to be emotional and difficult. Um, but when I finally did see it, I was so glad that I did because it really, it's really, really powerful and really well done and really honest and genuine. And, um, so I, I recommend it to people all the time, but anybody who's listening, who hasn't seen it, um, where can they still check that out, Todd? It is all over Amazon prime and awesome. uh, Amazon prime for sure is the, is the, is, is the best place to see it. And I want to say one more thing, uh, really quick is. I can recall after getting the call from Jim that I was physically shaking, that I was, I was scared. I was, I was overjoyed though, that, that he would want me to, to be involved with his recovery. And I think so much was being brought up from the combination of lose the trauma of losing Brad with my getting my footing back in my life and having the ability to, to do the work that I've done with a lot of people, but to apply it with Jacob, it was something that, that really shook me to my core. And I was extremely uh, anxious to get busy with him because I wanted to, I want this to be a different, uh, a different ending or just a different story for, for Jacob. There was a sense of urgency. I do remember that. And it was just this thought of, you know, we can't, we can't go through this again. We can't lose yeah. Jacob the same way. And, um, so thank you for stepping in there and hundred percent. I do it again. Okay, we've got one here from Instagram. This came in from, oh gosh, I'm, I'm sorry, Kylie L. Nayers. Hopefully I said your name right. Um, 
asks, uh, Papanol, do you have a favorite Sublime song that you that you like to listen to? Uh, well, I like the uh, you know the uh, the ones that are easiest to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, a lot of those songs, I have no idea what he's doing because he's doing something and then he switches off and does something else and, you know, and it goes all around and, uh, and, and I don't know. I don't know how he did it. I, I really don't. He was, he was just, he was just a, a really good musician and, and he liked all kinds of music and it was nothing for him, you know, just to, to switch in the middle of a, of a song, you know, but, um, uh, you know, the, I think, I think, I'm not sure, but I think they might have recorded this over on Catalina Island, you know, about, uh, about uh, you know, hanging around on the reef there. And, and that, uh, that to me was, was, uh, was, was my favorite, you know. Bad Fish is a classic. It, it always has been. And I know you'd mentioned before that that was one of your favorites because it was the easiest one for you to play. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, um, And I've told the story to Kelly before. Uh, uh, Janie and I were down in uh, Belize, and on some little peninsula on on the ocean. It's not a really, it's not where all the uh, the tourists go. But we went down there because we were going to rent a boat and sail around a little bit. And we went to uh, a place that night, you know, to to get something to eat. And and there there was two bars down there, and on the bar next to us, uh, they were playing Garden Grove, you know. So, <laughs> We were, we were just blown away. So you never know what, what's going to pop up, you know. Question for Papanol. Jarrett from Buffalo asks, do you remember the first time hearing a Sublime song in a setting like that and it really catching you off guard or having like this moment of like, wow, that's that's my kid and they're a big deal. They're, they're playing in <laughs> Sears right now or, yeah. or or something like that. Do you, do you remember a moment like that? Uh, well, I... It, it's it's kind of a strange deal because uh, you want to hear them, but you know the first time I heard them uh, in that kind of a setting, we were at Home Depot, and you know, I don't know, you know, that's, <laughs> nobody goes to Home Depot to hear a sublime song, but uh, you know, it's uh, I remember uh, my wife and I were watching the Grammys one year, and uh, Green Day uh, won an award for something, and and we both looked at each other and said, boy. If, uh, you know, if Green Day can win a reward uh, award, then Sublime certainly will. And of course, later on they did. But uh, that's when we first realized that uh, that uh, that other that other groups couldn't do uh, what uh, what Brad and his guys were doing. You know? No, that's that, that's for sure, absolutely. And uh, as much as I love Sublime and, and everything about the music, it doesn't really scream Home Home Depot to me either. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't I don't see I, I wouldn't see any of those guys in Home Depot unless they were lost. But <laughs> well, But that's I wanna, okay. I want to tell you though uh you know uh, uh Bud Gaw, he worked at the local hardware store here and and uh in uh, Long Beach and Belmont Shore. And then uh Jake uh later on in years uh he worked at the same place, Billings Hardware over on 2nd Street here in Belmont Shore. And uh, they they got a big kick out of uh, knowing what uh, what kind of screws were what, so that when people came in and asked for something, they could they get it for them. You, know, so you never know. And as I recall, wasn't he like the one everybody wanted to make the keys for him, Jacob? 
because he did yeah. such a good job with the keys. <laughs> there were two. There were two things that he could really do well. One was making keys, and the other was cleaning the the bathroom. And <laughs> so whenever, whenever, and and they really got a kick out of it. When, when uh, I don't know why, because they didn't do it at home. But <laughs> <laughs> that's why he was so good at it. He wasn't. He wasn't wasting the talent. He was just. It, he was leaving it all out there. There was well, nothing left when he got home. Well, whenever Billings would hire a new guy, uh, they'd, they'd uh, send uh, Jake with him to show, so he could show the guy how to clean the toilet, you know. <laughs> He's something. a man of many talents. Yeah. yeah. Well, Todd would certainly be happy at how key Jake was at his, <laughs> at his job. I'm sure. right. Nice. Ooh, try the veal. I'll be here all week, folks. Make sure you tip your weight, staff. Another question for uh, Miguel. This is actually kind of a fun question. This came in from Mark Cavanaugh. He asked, uh, when, when you guys were uh, recording with the Long Beach Dub All-Stars, uh, were any of those songs sublime songs that you kind of had in the works that weren't finished and you kind of said, hey, remember that one? And then it became a, a Long Beach Dub All-Star song? Honestly, no. I mean, it was actually like, a decision to not do that. Maybe we were stupid. <laughs> no, we started over. Um, we started over. It wasn't that hard. Um, I really credit Eric Wilson to kind of, he's such like such a natural musician. He just writes new music every day, bro. Like I, I'm not even kidding. He's like a, real true 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 musical person so he didn't you know it was he just kept writing great bass lines and and Rass had all new songs that he'd been working on he had bands the whole time alongside of Sublime he, he didn't start fresh he'd been in the game so no it, we just moved on you know the spirit was there a lot of the formula was the same sure yeah but as far as trying to salvage the track Mm. If I think of one, I'll, I'll get back, but I can't remember. No, fair enough. I just thought, you know, it was a, it was an interesting question when I saw it come question, up. But no, we just decided to leave it all in the vault and move on. That's honest truth. And, all right, cool. Uh, I think uh, a little, you know, it was a little underrated <laughs> if you consider that. You know, mm -hmm. People give it another listen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's extremely underrated, and I don't think it gets appreciated anywhere near as as much as it should. No, um, it's, but, it's it did what it did. The new record was great too. If you haven't yeah. heard the new, well, we still ball stars record. Just yeah, they last did a great year, job. Really good. Mm -hmm. uh, this one came in off of an Instagram post from F Shavitz. I hope I said that correct. I got a lot of questions like this one, Todd, but I went with this one. So when the day comes, hopefully a long, long time from now, and you meet up with Brad on the other side, Brad has his guitar in his hands and he looks at you and says, Todd, what do you want to hear? What's your request? Jesus. Man, you just kind of, <laughs> you guys, I don't listen to the music much anymore. Um, I would probably want to hear him do his acoustic version of Saw Red. There's no wrong answer. 
No, I, 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 I would probably want to. Jesus. You just kind of stumped me. It, it, it's funny. It just got a little emotional because uh, I got to share this with you guys and I'll, I'll throw in a couple more, but it was probably a couple years ago. I had a, you know, dreams happen to all of us and we have these interesting dreams every now and again that are truly, I think, uh, God given. But, uh, I told Jim all this and it was, it was a spiritual experience through a dream. And I, uh, I had a dream that I spent time with Brad in Long Beach for a couple of hours because he was able to visit. And all he did was he hugged me and he told me how happy he was that his son and me were doing so much better. Wow. And that was, and it was one of those things, one of those moments that, you know, I would, you can't, I can't just think that up. It was just a wonderful, powerful dream. Um, but when you asked me this question, and I was very touched by having, I haven't had it since, by the way, but through prayer and meditation, uh, uh, Brad has spoke to me sometimes and just says, he's, he's, he's glad to know that his son is safe and, and, and thriving. Um, but, but from a, from a, from a sound perspective, what would, what, is there one song or is there, what would I want to hear him play first? Yeah. What would you, I guess, you know, the song, it came in a million times, your favorite sublime song. What did you love to hear Brad play? <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it just, it came in a hundred different ways for everybody. Yeah. Um, okay. I, okay. I just like the way this one was set up. Cause it's like, Hey, I haven't heard this in, you know, 25 years. I would really love to hear this yeah. right now. Well, I always, it, it, Kelly knows this about me. I, I, and it's not so much an acoustic song, but I, I've always hung my hat on STP and greatest hits. And mm-hmm. Brad was so fucking talented. He could have played that acoustically beautifully as well. So I'm going to roll with that. And, and certainly saw red because uh, when he and I were were inebriated one night, he did that one for me in private. I have a tape of it somewhere. Okay, don't be saying that because now we're going to start Prove getting messages it. from people <laughs> saying, Prove "Where is well, it? Where is it?" They'll be waiting well, outside your front door. <laughs> well, no, uh, yeah, I, I and I'm well aware of that, and that's one of those <laughs> things. I gave Papanola a micro cassette of it years ago, and. Um, I know that he had a chance to, it was actually a conversation, pretty heavy stuff. It was nothing I would ever reveal publicly. It would be more mm-hmm. Kelly for you and for the family, but he was talking about his love for his dad. And uh, yeah, long time ago. Yeah. No, that one's not coming out publicly. <laughs> well, at least maybe the song anyway. I'm sure people oh, would love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go. Well, Papa Noel's a, a man that's impossible not to love. I, I tell Kelly true. all of the time. <laughs> we did have a question, and I, actually, I think it came in from Miguel for some reason, and I, I didn't bring it up. But we did have a, a question come through on Facebook, and they asked if Brad ever had any any real jobs. You know, being a musician is not a real job. So, d- did Brad ever have any of those summer jobs? Was he was he flipping burgers or delivering pizzas anywhere? Well, we lived we lived in uh, Seal Beach for a while. Uh, I built a, a house down there, and uh, more more of a spec house, but it didn't sell right away, so we moved into it. And it was just a half a block down from the, I guess it's the subway over there on Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah, but it was Taco Bell back then. Yeah, so he went over there, and they gave him the hat and the outfit and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, it wasn't really cool, you know. So. <laughs> I think he lasted about three weeks there, maybe. Maybe, yeah. At the most, that might be a little generous. 
Was there just <laughs> a line out the door of friends looking for the homie hookup? Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know. They. Uh, this was before they. Uh, they started to get a lot of play on the radio, but uh, and then after that, I thought, well, I should put him and his and his buddy uh, Scott uh, Cunningham. They were always uh, two of a kind. I put them to work because I was a, a contractor. I was building a lot in the in town here, and I thought one thing those guys could do is, you know, we we bring dumpsters in and. And all they got to do is pick up the, you know, the scraps and throw it in the dumpster. How tough can that be, right? <laughs> yeah. But the problem I had was that uh, my Spanish was was very minimal, and uh, and Brad uh, had studied Spanish uh, all through high school and all through college, and uh, and he not only uh, knew the Spanish that you that you learned at school. But he learned all the Spanish that the guys were talking on the street, and especially on on my construction jobs. Uh, so what happened is every time he'd come come in, they say, "Well, well it's the boss's son, you know." So he speaks Spanish, so everybody would sit down and listen to him, you know. So that didn't last very long. We had to put an end to that. <laughs> he was talking more than he was working. Well, you know, he he couldn't help it because they all wanted to talk to him, you know, mm-hmm. and I. And I thought, well, I'll put an end to that. I'll go over to the junior college and take a night course in Spanish, you know. So, and I'd uh, I'd learn a phrase or two, and then I couldn't wait to get out on the job the next day. And I'd go out there and I'd use it. <laughs> they had no idea what I was saying, you know. It was it wasn't the same Spanish that they speak in out on the street here. That's for sure. Right. Well, whenever but, anybody asks, whenever anybody would ask me, do you speak Spanish? I'd be like, well, do you mean like sublime Spanish yeah, yeah. Or, or like Spanish? Because I know the words that Brad's saying. I don't know what he's saying, but I can re-mimic that sound back. So if that counts, then yes, I do. But uh, I think it's amazing. And I know Kelly's told the story before that that Brad used to go down and, and he could he could communicate with all the different workers. And, and that's why oh, yeah. and how he and that's why and how he got so good at, at Spanish. Well, after after we lost him, uh, uh, I was up at Universal a lot trying to because they wanted to put some more stuff out, and so it's it's the usual deal, you know, where you're we're sitting in a big conference room and all that, and and they wanted they wanted to put some of the stuff out, but they didn't know what it meant, you know, and and they said, do you know what he's saying? I said, well, no, but I, you know, I can probably find somebody who can understand that lingo and, and help you out, but I don't know whether he'd be honest or not, you know. <laughs> nor, nor, nor does Universal want to know what he's saying. Don't ask questions you don't want to know the answer to. Just, just okay. sign the deal. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, that was. I, I the first time I translated, I did like a Google translate on some Sublime lyrics, and I was just like, "Wow, okay, Brad." Oh, <laughs> yeah. This, this was before Google Translate. You know, otherwise we would have tried that. Yeah. Now you can go any place world and 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 you know we've done some traveling and i always tried to google now to get the you just get a few words so when you're in lithuania or something you know when they're serving you you can thank them in their language and they really think that's kind of cool but then i only have about two words and that's it you know we just but, blew uh, some of our younger listeners minds you just said before <laughs> google they're like before google that, that's like that might be a new set you know like bc there's like you know bg before oh, oh that was yeah, bg well, that was before google that doesn't that doesn't count for anything yeah i was i was before the internet so i uh, you know <laughs> and uh and, and i and i didn't like it when when we came in with the uh, with uh, with all those computers, because uh, the, then everybody, uh, you know, when we were doing jobs and stuff, they wanted all on a spreadsheet. 
And it took me a long time. Well, Kelly would know that because I was asking her all the time how to do this. <laughs> you know, I used to write it out by hand and it was fast and no problem, you know, but then I sit there and I don't know. I'm still that way. I haven't changed. <laughs> don't don't feel bad. I'm I'm the exact same way. Luckily, I have Anna, and you know I'll I'll speak with different sponsors or stuff for the podcasts or for my business, and they'll be like, "Yeah, can you just get an invoice over?" And I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." And I'm like, "Baby, make one of those invoicey things and email it to this address, please." Because I don't know, I don't know how. So another question for Jake came in here from Instagram and. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, but we got asked it a lot. So I owe it to the listeners to ask you, man. Uh, do you have a, a favorite sublime song? Um, yeah, I would say that I do. Um, uh, I'm trying to think it's such a huge catalog, you know? Um, but I, I think, uh, growing up one that like stuck around with me a lot was boss DJ. And, um, that was a pretty big one. Um, I think a lot of the acoustic stuff makes these real tearjerker music, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I guess just cause I really had to perform it last night. I've been listening to it nonstop the last two days to try to get the <laughs> lyrics down. Uh, same in the end is probably like, man, this is such a good song. <laughs> like, this is just awesome. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably keep it. I'll probably keep it right there. Those are my, those are my favorites right now. Yeah. See, I like how you said that. Those are my favorites right now. Uh, yeah. because I, I also, I also waver uh, quite a bit, although it's my number one is always jailhouse. All the listeners know that I talk about it every single, but you know, it, I kind of, it depends on, on the mood that I'm kind of in a little bit here. Um, oh, another okay. question, another question that we got, uh, I don't know. I probably got this question seven or eight different ways and I'm pretty sure that, that we answered it already. So, um, no, Jake has, has never considered, um, being the front man for sublime or, or anything like that, as he has just spoke about, you know, and, and he likes to play his music and law is incredibly awesome. But, um, I, I do think that it is neat that a lot of people reach out and, and want to hear that, that connection. But, um, I, I think Jake is, is pretty happy with his project with law and what he has going on right now, as much as he would have fun playing some of those songs though. Yeah. And to speak on that, actually, I mean, I, if that's something I noticed, obviously it's something people really want to hear and, um, they, they, they want me to be the guy to do it, to be the front man of those, of those songs that Sublime did and stuff. And, um, I, I totally get where that, where that desire comes from, even though it's something I don't want to spend my full time doing just because I, I don't think I could, you know, I, I, I don't want to also tarnish the image. And at the same time, I don't want to play to the, like the fantasy of it. But, um, that being said, I've recently started to perform some sublime songs during charity events uh, where Bradley's house and the Knoll family foundation are involved in some way. Um, I find that that's like the, the correct arena to, to do that stuff. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if we ever got the, the right logistics in place to set up a run of shows or even like a tour where we um, are just raising money and awareness for the Knoll family foundation um, or other select charities, I would be more than more than willing to perform that the music for uh, sublime songs for that kind of field, because um, I think not only does it make sense with what people want and, you know, the story of it and everything, me being sober now, but I think that so much of sublime's music had to do with his own, my dad's own personal struggles with addiction. So what better way, just, just an interesting kind of, kind of setup to, 
to raise awareness, not only for what we're doing, but for the, the opioid crisis um, that we're in right now. So uh, if you, if you guys are out there and you want to hear me, uh, uh, you know, perform sublime song, I, I, I know uh, that Billy Wilson's one of my good buddies, man. Get him on the bass there, maybe. <laughs> Holy fuck. You're going to break the internet, Jake. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, are you if sure you, guys you want, want me to that, air this? If you guys want that, come, you gotta, we gotta show some love and support for wanting to see these charity shows for the Noel Family Foundation. Let's make it happen. That's a great idea. We'd love to have yeah. Billy involved. Yeah, Kelly, you go ahead and take the rest of this interview while I breathe into this bag <laughs> and try to. <laughs> Try to, try Let's to re- do it, man. Re- I mean, it, it could, it, we could really make it do it up big too, with how many bands that they uh, that Sublime had touched and gotten involved with, and how much there's like that familial vibe. I mean, right. I think the sky is the limit, and, and not only just the old ones, but but newer bands that somewhere I'm friends with. You know, I'm sure I, I know a lot of people that I would love to be involved with a, a tour um, and run shows like this, and I, I think yeah. it could be totally possible. Yeah, it's a great idea. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's public now. Um, so, uh, I was lucky enough to, uh, to, to join Kelly. Anna and I joined Kelly in Las Vegas for Reggae Rise Up. And I guess I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, but to see the outpouring of people, I, I mean, to see people, breaking down into tears at the tent right. because of how much sublime or the music has meant to them um, throughout the years. And, uh, you know, to hear people talk about you and law and then on top of it, the different musicians that, you know, I got to run into while I was there and they're like, Oh my God, that, you know, sublime and Bradley Noel. And it, it's just, it's amazing the footprint that he's left in this music scene. And, um, you know, I, I know that yourself and, and, and your aunt Kelly are, you guys are, are extremely humble, but, you know, I'm sitting at this festival and I'm looking at all of these people and all of these bands on the marquee. And I'm like, this is happening because sublime happened. And, and that's oh, why, that, that's why these bands are here. And I'm not guessing because for the last year we've interviewed, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of musicians that are out touring and playing and writing songs. And they all say, you know, Kelly, your brother is, you know, I, I heard my first sublime song when I was 12 and I knew it's just amazing. Um, you know, and your, your, your grandpa, uh, the first time we had him on, um, you know, he said Sublime's really a seminal band and, and they certainly are. They, they started an entire Completely. scene and, uh, it's just amazing to see, uh, all of this time later, uh, you know, 25 years later, how important it still is to, to so many people. All right. We've got, uh, William Barkley from Facebook asks for Miguel, what was the writing process like? And did Brad have a song that he considered his baby? Is there still such a thing as Facebook? <laughs> oh. Smart ass. How, how would you? MySpace? What is that? MySpace? How, how would you know? How is would you know, my, Miguel? Is that my Facebook? Is that what you're talking about? That's meta or something. My Facebook. My, That's what it stands for. <laughs> meta stands for my Facebook eight. My own uh, I don't Social know. media is awesome, Miguel. You I, should I join us. I couldn't, I couldn't answer. Uh, I couldn't answer on the baby. What was the first part? A favorite tune. Uh, what, what the writing process was like, and if Brad had a song that he he was extra proud of, I guess, or that he considered to be his baby. 
Um, definitely what I got. I mean, what I got was like, like if man, if this don't work, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? And take a welding or something because we, we worked so hard on that song. We did it like nine times. So definitely, that was the hardest we ever worked on a song that came to us like that too. And the, the original demo was so fast. And then it became a three-year obsession. So definitely what I got, that's not an accident that that song so labored over. It was, it was, you know, a lot of work went into that. And as far as process, Brad had processes. It's the only way I could describe it. And I was glad to like witness a lot of them and learn a lot of them. And I had my own processes too. Um, and the two, we use them all. I mean, it's just like you see a mechanics tool, tools, you know, there's, there's one for every job, you know? Mm. So really everything you could imagine from forcing yourself to write a song, to playing with a drum machine, inspires a whole new song, playing with the band, hearing something on the radio, thinking they said one thing, anything, everything. It was just back then it was a complete obsession. And like, at all times trying to like advance the writing a little bit. So whatever method was around four track, you know, answering machine messages, that's it. It was just the times it was like, you just try to capture it any way you could write it down on a cigarette pack, whatever. Uh, so it's, there's no real easy way to say how the sublime, there was no true method. There was methods with the S and pretty much used them all. Okay, I think that's uh, yeah, I think that's 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 fair enough. And um, you know, there's there were some videos released. Uh, Paul Leary talked a little bit uh, about the the recording process, and um, you know, he said Brad would Brad would go walk up to the mic in the booth with his notepad, and everybody would just stop and be like, okay. And he would sit there for a couple minutes, and he would keep scratching away, didn't even have it finished, and then he would just rip off, you know, a, a, an amazing an amazing session. So. I, I can I mean, only imagine. This is the thing with like those kind of stories, and of course I love Paul, but he's a showman, man. He's a rock star. He's 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 giving good press because that's kind of like cool. You know, it was a great story. It made me laugh. But <laughs> again, there was processes. Then sometimes you walked up there, no notepad, and just killed it. Like he had it. It was all over the map. Like it looks like anything. There was no one way. You know. It's not the Karen Carpenter story, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) That was one event, you know what I mean? Like nothing against Karen Carpenter, but the original Karen Carpenter movie was terrible, you know. The most tragic and cliche thing ever. Oh gosh. They need to redo it, make it gritty. She deserves it. I agree. Uh but uh I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I love Paul. (laughs) That kind of stuff is funny. He there, there was some you know. Worse stuff than that happened, and sometimes we just got vocals done too. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a, there is a whole album, you know what I mean? It would have took a while to chip away at that, that album at that rate. You know, mm-hmm. Think about it. Yeah, I you know I always laugh. It was a great story though. It made me laugh when I heard him tell that story. It was kind. Of- because you hear, you know, you hear Eric and Bud both talk about heading to the studio and knowing they didn't have any music done and just being like, eh, it'll get worked out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, you it's know what scary. Somebody told them that and now they say that we were working, working, <laughs> working on music for six months. We had yeah. 
it was real raw, but we had demos and I had, I had been mailing Paul Leary tapes of all our little ideas in advance. He had a little map. He could show you, he had it all written down. Every little idea I had sent him. And then we had it all on tape. So it wasn't like songs though. That's what they mean. It wasn't like songs. Like here's our song. It was just ideas. But we had we had ideas. We had we had a lot of ideas, tons, um, but no real songs. And that's that that is that's the fear they were trying to convey. And 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 I was feeling it too. Like we definitely like what are we gonna do? But we had a method for that. We would just listen to the ideas, and they would just go and kind of try to take a little real rough idea from the home studio and, and make it a song. And they would every day, sometimes too. Because they were great ideas, you know, we'd capture them in the moment, some idea, just a chord change or something cool that never would be a song. But then I'd be like, well, put this little two minute piece on a tape, send it to Paul Leary. And he's like, that's a song. It's going to be, that's, you know, that counts. So I'm like, okay, one on the board, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, right. so it was, it was sketchy, but we had tons of ideas. We, we, we had no shortage of ideas. We just didn't have any formal songs like, and that was kind of, you know, a little sketchy for everybody involved, but it got know, done. And it, and you know what? It worked out pretty good. That album ended up having, you know, that, that ended up being all right. All right. Now, Todd, um, Jarrett from Buffalo asks, uh, you're booking a big festival. You got to pick a headliner. You got sublime sitting on one side of the room and the spin doctors on the other. Who's going on last? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So the word, so the <laughs> Wait, you're saying it's a coin flip between Sublime and the Spin Doctors? <laughs> I, I'm asking you, man. I, I know that those are those are two that you you are very uh, very big on. Oh so. my is God. this a is this a question from a fan? No, no, this is just me busting your balls. Oh, this is you. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm Jared. Uh, I don't know Buffalo. if I want to blow it on the radio, but I, I love talking about the Spin Doctors because <laughs> the fat the simple truth is is they absolutely ruined me, um, and. And yet I, I'm trying to pull off to everyone that, that they should, that Led Zeppelin should have ultimately been opening um, for the spin doctors. And, and, but no, if it were to be sublime of the doctors, I think the doctors had better um, uh, just go on down to a little coffee shop and jam. And I think I'd go with uh, Eric, Bud and uh, Brad. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was just making sure. I just, yeah, I just no, no, it's all good. It's just a fun thing. I, I like to, I like to mess around on Facebook and pull, pull some, chains for the last two years i've tagged you on anything spin doctors that has possibly come up yes. including including i just did about 25 minutes ago our friend uh, george ruiz who's the lead singer of the band the irie just did a two princes uh reggae cover and you're, you're tagged on that buddy so oh, oh, oh bitching anything <laughs> yeah. doctors related i want it yeah so you'll, you'll be able you'll be able to catch that later when you're when you're catching up on that yeah um, do, not, do not fuck with the doctors yeah go ahead <laughs> Oh man, you know what? Roll credits. How we can't beat this, right? I know that's like the quote of the show. Do not fuck with the doctors. <laughs> oh my gosh! Hey, Dad. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of questions from people about when Brad started playing guitar, and I know mm -hmm. you know obviously like the family parties, everybody would be playing, and I. I kind of feel like that's where he picked it up, but I don't have a specific memory of when that started. Do you remember around what time he wanted to start playing? Well, you, you're you're exactly right. The parties then uh, that my folks uh, did were a lot different than the parties you have now where you sit around and listen to recorded music. Everybody made music. 
they go out in the living room and, and move the furniture to the side to the sides of the room so they have dancing room and they always we always had a piano there and uh and my dad had 10 brothers and a couple and a sister or two so uh and everybody played anything with instruments with excuse me with strings mm-hmm. and uh and uh, I can't remember how old Brad was, but he was he was quite young. I've got a picture of it somewhere uh, on my wall there by my desk uh, mm-hmm. w- with his first guitar. And how old do you think he was? Maybe seven? It something? Was, yeah, it was elementary school, early elementary, I would say. And so, uh, yeah, seven or eight. Of course, he picked it up. But, you know, the, what what uh, what me and, and the folks were doing was, uh, you know, was five foot two eyes of blue. You know, it was pretty mm-hmm. tough. And, uh, and and they all had pretty much the same beat and similar lyrics and all that sort of thing. But uh, of course, uh, Bad uh, once he figured out the, the the simple chords, you know, then he was he was off and running, and mm-hmm. he was he way past that, us. You had that songbook that had lyrics and also the chords written right above the lyrics. I'm sure that was yeah, I had to. Jake uh, Brad didn't have to do that. He knew, he knew where the chords were. I had I still have to write. I have to still have to be able to see them. You know. Mm-hmm. In order, to, in order to remember those songs, I've got a, I've got a, a songbook with a bunch of songs in it. But my wife pointed out to me the other day that uh, none of the writers uh, who wrote any of those songs in my book are still alive. So, I oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that just makes them classics. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> oh well. well, the old songbook. I actually, uh, I, I remember. Gosh, probably in the. Late '90s, early 2000s, we actually had a Sublime songbook that we got from the local, uh, like yes. the local, Sam, the local Sam Goody. And I remember getting it and bringing it home and being so excited. And I was at my my friend's apartment, and I was like, "We got this book, man!" Uh-huh. He's like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Now, just one one of us have to learn how to play some of these instruments." And we right. Totally. <laughs> I don't know why we bought this damn book. None of us play any <laughs> instruments, but we we've got it. And uh, and I, I really remember like spending like di- like we would be hanging out with friends and be like, dude, you, uh, you do you play the guitar? You you do? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> hang on, we got this book here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a cool piece of memorabilia, but it didn't it didn't do me any good as far as well, as far as playing I, anything. I can't remember the name of the company that did that songbook uh, we licensed it. But they did songbooks for everybody, you know. And uh, I, I was like you. I, I saw what they wrote, but it didn't mean anything to me, you know. I couldn't translate. What, I'm like a world-class air guitar player, though. I, like, uh-huh. I'm, I'm the top of the – I am the top of the line on that. So that's, 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 that's about as ha- – it's about as good as I get. In fact, someone just asked me – one of my friends just asked me this morning. Uh, I was playing disc golf, and he goes, dude, do you, uh, do you ski? And I said, uh, no, but I am like a world-class sledder. You should see me <laughs> on any kind of sled going downhill. It's uh, well, no, yeah. yeah, no, no, no skiing for me. Do you, do you remember? I mean, obviously you guys are a musical family. Kelly's talked about it throughout the time on the podcast. Like you just said at the parties, you'd move everything out. Everybody would start playing. Do you remember the time when you looked at Brad and went, wow, he's he's pretty good this is he he's better than i am now huh? do you do, do you do you, rem, do you remember having that that moment that's not much of a scale to go by you know cause I, was, <laughs> I, I had a band in uh, in college uh but all we did was play folk songs you know peter paul and mary and 
the Kingston Trio and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's easy stuff. There's only maybe three chords at the most, you know, and they all kind of sound alike. But uh, to to sit, what amazed me is how he could just pull a, a tune and lyrics uh, out out of the sky. I mean, he kept a, he kept a, a a binder, you know, uh, that he carried with him all the time. And I think most uh, songwriters do that that, that I that I've listened to. And uh, and so if 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 they happen to catch a, a you know a, a catchy phrase or something while they're talking or just going through life. They run home and, and and or run someplace for private and, and write it all down, you know. And uh, but other than that, uh, he, he would just come up with these things. And it, it, to me, it's 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 a real gift. And and I, I don't know where it came. It didn't it didn't uh, it didn't come from me or my family because uh, you know my folks didn't play anything original. You know they they played the tunes that were popular in the twenties and thirties. You know. And uh, I didn't play anything original, you know. We just uh, ran the recorder uh, when when the Kingston Trio was in town and steal their songs, you know. So it was. Uh, it, it's it, he. He really had the talent, and and I and I and that amazes me how people can do that, you know. Uh, who who the, they just got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the second or third time? Well, Carol King, you know, she mm. she, she has written uh, hundreds of songs. Yeah. It, I, I don't see how they do it. I, I, to me, it's a miracle. It really is. Uh, but uh, we're going to have to get out the, uh, my wife and I both have ukuleles here because we spend a lot of time over in Hawaii because that's where most of our relatives are on my dad's side. And uh, and they're all coming to town in, in two days and staying with us. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people coming. So uh, we're going to have to get out and go through our old, old Hawaiian songbook. You know, that's pretty easy because there's only four strings on those little ukes, you know. So it's a uh, it's much that's that's a much easier thing to learn. So if you want to learn how to play a guitar, just start with you. That's a good good advice. Another one that's come in a, a few times, in a few different ways, uh, Todd. Uh, and I wrote it down here. This one came on Facebook from Kelsey. Uh, Todd, do you ever regret regret the sublime is key thing? I mean, you constantly are getting bombarded with key comments, <laughs> never okay. ending. Yeah, no, because <laughs> I, I, absolutely not. And the the fact of the matter is, I think I was like sixteen or seventeen when when I. And so, for those of you who don't know, when I use the word key, or um, all of our friends do, it's just, of course, it, it's essentially the interpretation of it's. You know, if you want to call it rad or killer, or just it's better than good. It's, it's just when something is key, it just fucking rules. Right. And I mean, I, I've literally been since like 1983, I was saying that. And so when I did the thing, when I talked about Sugar Ray and 311 are not key. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I've got more fucking emails about that. I mean, it, I mean, enough to make, I mean, thank God I've got a big Costco size of Excedrin in my house because, <laughs> um, but but the answer is no. I do not regret that because I still find it funny. Uh, Jared has suggested in the past that the foundation should make some shirts um, with your quote on it that says "recovery is key." I think it's a great uh, idea. I think that that I think that would be wonderful. I mean, I I, I, <laughs> I had a guy recently. What what did he say? He said he's making T-shirts that says uh, 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 "sex is pretty key," as quoted by me. <laughs> like sex is pretty key. In quotes, 
with a key on it and it says Z-Man. I'm like, dude, that's great. I go, I'm sure my fucking my wife and mom will love yeah, it. Yeah, that's super great. Yeah, yeah. Of course, sex is pretty key. It, 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 everyone enjoys that. Yeah. Wise ass. Uh, recovery is recovery is key, and uh, recovery is uh, is an absolute blessing. And and anyone who's struggling, man. I get a lot of people reach out to me and I, and I always, always respond because I take pride in it because it's what we do. I have yeah. a responsibility to do my very best to, uh, to do my very best to, to either to empathize, to have compassion and love and to, to maybe um, offer a suggestion or two that, 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 that could help the person. So that got a little off track. No, I don't regret key. Key is fucking key. Another fun question here for Miguel. Uh, Miguel, how good was Bert Suzanka's shrimp dip? <laughs> that's a uh bert doesn't even eat seafood that's he's uh, <laughs> it's just he has a song called uh uh i got me a song shrimp i forget what so the that- song was called it's, it's out of print it was a, a ziggin song called shrimp dip or shrimp dip all right, fair it enough. Cra- it was a crazy little song. It was when Brad Conyers joined the group, the Ziggins, had been broke up for a while, and then they got back together with Brad Conyers. And it, he was like an incredibly like blow your mind uh, surf drummer. You know what I mean? It's like, like melt your face, surf drummer. And that shrimp dip song, like they gave us the demo and the, the snare rolls on it were so fucking psycho hmm. that we just love that shit. I mean, the whole song was great, but that was the new addition to the thing was Brad. He came out of nowhere, like playing like crazy. Nice. And just something about it. So it was just an inside joke to, I, you know what I mean? Bert doesn't eat, Bert doesn't even eat seafood. God, I love that. I don't that. think so. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, this one is going to go to Corey Smith. Was there a, a favorite song that you guys like to play live? Did Brad have one that he wanted to fit in on every set? They all did. I think that was a band decision that they definitely had tunes that they, they kind of had to play every night. Every band has that. I mean, you got it. That's what holds us all together. So I really feel to just to, to, uh, I wouldn't know. That'd be a question for them guys. Like I kind of was, the set list had changed. When I was in the band, the set list had changed a lot. When I was in the band, we didn't use one. <laughs> so that's another thing. Uh, the set list kind of thing kind of came in later. Uh, no. Miguel, you keep saying, you, you you know, that's a question for the band or you'd have to ask those guys. You're in this band. You're a member of Sublime. You well, know that, when people are, right? when they talk in broad strokes, they mean the later group i mean you know you, a thousand I, people when we when i was in the band a thousand people in the world knew who we were let's be realistic you know? well well you so, you know what I mean? you're so, always in the band you're always in the band you're you're it, you're in there the, so the don't... period i was in the group was small and no one was really paying attention at that time the the the, the band that captured the public's imagination uh is a completely separate animal so no, I, I I disagree. I think Sublime, the big picture in people's mind that, that makes people happy is the original band, Bud, Eric, and Brad. You know, 
and Miguel. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think I'm just passing through on the side like a good. Uh, Hey, listen, I understand your I understand your modesty, Bobby and Keys. you know, I'll, and take, we're on... I'll take Bobby Keys to the Stones. You know what I mean? Like just a good side, man. That's 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 what it's what's all about. Everybody kicking in. Yeah, I, I love your modesty, and we can be on opposite ends of the fence here. But as far as I'm concerned, you are. What I'm kicking is reality. <laughs> <laughs> it's got nothing to do with modesty. It's just reality. Well, I think I think Plain, where Jared cold, and a lot of people, I think where Jared and a lot of people are coming from is that your your influence, your participation, your history, or right. all of that with the band is such an integral part of well, Sublime you. for so many people, and so well, yeah, I don't think that can be separated at all. Well, cool, and that's a good thing. Yeah, you it's an amazing, amazing thing. thing. Well, uh, what else you got? Let's see here. I think I've got one more for you and then we'll let you go. And uh, I appreciate you doing this yeah. at all, at all for us. It's, uh, it's amazing. Um, okay. Um, we had a fun question came in from Instagram. Um, asked, you know, at being a friend of, of Brad's and knowing him personally, if he wasn't the front man for Sublime, what do you think he would have been doing? Probably uh, finance. That's what he was trying to do. You think he would have? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) That's a a threat. He it wouldn't have been. He would have been. He would. He he would have had a lot of opportunity to to get some kind of fun gig, like financing like boat companies or something. Like seriously. You know and what I mean, mean like yacht, like financing sure. yacht fleets down in Dana Point, you know, just that's a crazy guy. He was still surfed and just played music and had a band and he still would have been the same guy without fame. That's for that's, sure. Yeah. That's a fact. That's true. That's true. This would have been one of them cool professional guys who kinda of has it all like that's I like great. that. That's, 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 that's for answer. sure. He was nice he, had a, no he, had a, he had a plan B. He did. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That he that could go back to, to normal society. He had skills. He had developed, like, college-level skills to, to, to do something productive if music fell apart. But That's we definitely weren't trying to. We definitely, you know, we definitely made a lot of sacrifices. That's for sure. And he paid the ultimate price. And I feel... You know, bad for especially you, Kelly, and, and your mom and dad. Yeah. But uh, but uh, we got to just move on. We're thankful. Yes. We're still talking about it to this day. That keeps them alive to me. All right, here. Uh, this came in from on Facebook. Uh, Jer Leo, here's my question for Todd. I work in social services as a service coordinator for those experiencing houselessness. I work with people who are struggling with substance abuse disorder every day. It's wreaking havoc across the U.S., and I've personally reversed 26 overdoses with Narcan in the last year. What do you think is the most important factor in dealing with this crisis? Oh, my God. Yeah, pretty broad. No, no. Finish the last thing. What is the most important what? What is the most important factor in dealing with this crisis? Oh, 
well, for any, I hate to say this, but I'm going to, you know what, screw it. I, I don't ever candy coat. You guys know me well enough. And, and this is such a serious, serious issue um, due to the introduction of, of illegally manufactured fentanyl. There is no solution to this crisis. There is no solution to this crisis. And I hate to say that. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. And it's because the money is too big. The cartels are too smart. They're, they are too completely determined to flood the market. And yet people get a load of this. There is evidence that proves that when some fentanyl has been sold, that someone has died on over the weekend, addicts are seeking to find that because they know it's that powerful and that wow. they can dance that close to effing death. And, you know, I want to, I want to, I need to say to this guy, God bless you for the work you're doing. God bless mm-hmm. you for, for, I mean, you talk about, you know, we, we refer to it as, as working in the trenches when I'm working with families and loved ones who are dying, it's trench work. And, you administering Narcan is freaking trench work and it's sad yeah. and it's heartbreaking. And I, I, I hate to say it and, and to be, but I'm a realist. It is, it is a, 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 just a massive beast. This thing is not going anywhere. It's only going to grow and it's only going to get worse. And the best thing that we can do is to make recovery available for those who want it because the, the, um, the statistical increase of overdose deaths deaths due to cocaine-laced fentanyl, heroin-laced fentanyl, and just flat-out fentanyl is through the roof, and it's not going anywhere. Mm. I'm going to say this last bit. I was addicted. Fentanyl was one of my things, but it wasn't made in Mexico. I was getting a pharmaceutical brand that was uh, it was built into these suckers. And you talk about just, I mean, it's like 80 times stronger than morphine. And I wanted that more than oxygen. It's just such a sad, sad uh, way to live. And I feel for anybody who's dealing with it. Unfortunately, I don't have a solution, guys. And I, I do not have a solution for this other than working with people who want to get well. That's all I can Absolutely. say. You know, I get asked this a lot too, Todd, and I'm not sure um, from your perspective, but the answer that I typically give is, I mean, as you said, there is no solution. There's no way to fix it by focusing on the supply side. You have to focus on the demand side. You know, when the when the demand stops, the supply will stop. Okay. And the, okay. And the there's not obviously there's no way to stop the demand, but I think if we can destigmatize um, addiction and substance abuse in general, so that people can reach out and get help without feeling any sort of shame, yeah. Then I think that that's a big step forward in in reducing that demand. That. That part is you're absolutely spot on. And, and, and let's talk about this for, for another second or two, because it's, it's important. Um, resources and is, is king for sure. Nothing. I've said this time and time again on my own program. When I have my own podcast, I think I've said it to you, Kelly, when I've been interviewed, but nothing hurts me more when there's someone, a family that has a loved one or the individual wants help, but they do not have the access, what we call equitable access to care. Mm, So people with golden PPO insurance can go anywhere and get great treatment, blah, 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 and on and on. And the people who really want it sometimes don't have the resources. It wrenches my heart because um, you, you often just can't get them into a place in time. And we should not, as our, as a society, we should not be having this as an issue. And I want to come back to one thing that you just said, Kelly, when we're talking about the supply and the demand, America is known 
hands down, as the world's most thirsty and drug-taking society mm. on the planet Earth, period. Wow. And, and this is a, st- a statistic that is, and this, you, and you can Google this, but th- this is a fact. There was, when the crisis of the opioid uh, situation was really kind of rock and rolling after this, I'm going to say 2012 or 14, okay, the United States consists of 5% of the world's population, and we were ingesting 83% or more of all the world's manufactured synthetic opioids. Wow. What wow. does that effing tell you? People yeah. in Europe are like, shit, we just take aspirin. You know, mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. They have their problems too, but nothing on the scale that we have. Nothing, yeah. you know. So clearly a lot more has to change than just destigmatization. <laughs> well, 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 I mean, the stigma, I think more and more people, Kelly, are, are, are very comfortable with talking about and out loud about, you know what, this is a treatable illness. We need yes. resources, et cetera. And that part, I mean, for God's sake, I put on Facebook the other day that my first addiction was Pez candy, and it's the truth. <laughs> but you know what? I'm not ashamed of saying that, you know, before I discovered drugs and alcohol, Pez was my go-to. See, and it's not even meant to be funny because I wrapped it up with God had other plans and, and recovery is key, and my mom believes the same thing. Um, I, I, I like to put myself out there and often, believe me, I get in harm's way because of it. But you know what? For all those out there who want to judge, fuck you. Fuck yeah. you. And and, and and when I say that, I say it with conviction because wait till your son or daughter dies from this shit or or someone you love dies from this shit or strung out on this shit. And you're like, oh, well, God, now, now we got to help so-and-so. And boy, we better start talking about this. This needs to be talked about. Okay, it is it is an illness that is that falls under the um, under the FDA. If you're suffering and you're people always ask me this, am I going to lose my job? You cannot be fired because you seek treatment. There is uh, that falls under the uh, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. You cannot terminate for someone seeking help for this disease. You can't. Right. You know, I was I was updating the Noel Family Foundation business plan the other day, and one of the graphs that I had in the previous edition was the reasons that people give for not receiving treatment. And the number one reason is not ready to stop using. Number two reason is no healthcare coverage and couldn't afford cost. But numbers three and four, where it might have a negative effect on the job and might cause neighbors or community to have a negative opinion. And I yes. think that's where the destigmatization comes in when it doesn't well, become, oh, you're a junkie that can't control yourself or something like that. But it's like, oh, you've got that addictive gene and you need to get some help and we're going to support you. Yeah. Any, that's a great point. And any, and and forgive me guys for saying F you, that was so bold of me. And we cuss on the show all the time. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Like half of my (laughs) stick is dick jokes. (laughs) Um, Any, any uh, uh, to further that Kelly, what you just said is, is any human resources department that's worth a grain of salt, they, they, they very well know that they cannot terminate for someone spe- uh, seeking right. help. Now, they can but there's certainly still a fear ter- from people's point of, of view. Co- you, uh, are you kidding? Of course there is. And, um, and also, you know, because they do have the right to terminate if someone, you know, has been proven over time to, to have demonstrated uh, being loaded on the job, et cetera. But that's a whole different conversation. Sure. The f- you know, um, as far as the fear factor of it all, I got to tell you, I am so glad that that I don't fear you or anyone else judging me because 
because my my truth is is that yeah i've I almost died from this stuff and and i am I'm an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict and I'm in recovery and uh I don't lose sleep over that and it's a very freeing feeling now I also don't I also want to say I'm not saying this is any there's no cool factor to me at all it's cool that I'm sober mm-hmm. but um I don't know. I just, um, it's important for us to, to be able to talk freely about this topic without feeling judged or even, here's the thing, without feeling freaking worse than you already do. Exactly. Without increasing that shame and that, oh, the yeah, shame all of that. It, it is so massive when you're in the disease. Right. That's one thing I always tell families when I'm when I'm working with them is that our goal is to is to uh, demonstrate love and compassion and firm boundaries, but not to make them feel cut off at the legs and to make he or she feel worse than they already effing do. Because I promise you, right. they already hate themselves. Exactly, and I think that that's a hard thing for people to understand. Yep. <clears throat> who are not struggling with it to realize that there is so much of that already going on inside that person that if we respond that way, then that just um, multiplies it, intensifies it and makes validates those feelings that they're having when really 100%. that's going to keep them from getting, getting clean and getting sober. A hundred percent. And, and, and I'll, I'll just, I'll say this last thing because it's such a powerful topic that, you know, th- this thing referring to essentially is judgment, stigma, Etc. That old, old cliche in, I can never quote it right, but you know, you just never know until you've walked a mile in another man's shoes. Okay. I can tell you, I can tell you, you do not want to walk in my effing shoes, especially in the years of 2003 to 2007 when I checked in. My last mm. four or five years were so freaking gnarly and so sick and disgusting and filled with fear and desperation and sickness. And that is what addicts go through. And yeah. so, and so if Kelly, Kelly were to see me, hey, Todd, how are you doing? Oh, I'm loaded with fear. I'm sick. I hate myself. I'm ashamed. And I freaking feel like hanging myself. An addict doesn't want to tell you that because they're scared. Right. Right. And that's, that's heartbreaking because if that keeps them from getting treatment, then, yep. you know, what a, sh- what a shame. Exactly. Dad, I have another question for you. When, when Brad was really getting into Sublime and having the band, you were... Mm-hmm you were for the most part very supportive of him which is you know getting to the point where they are now because if if they had never gotten past that that infant phase <clears throat> that infant phase then of course mm-hmm. you know they, they wouldn't be where they are now what did you think when brad decided to to really pursue music um instead of anything else i mean obviously he still stayed in school and that was an important thing to you for, for mm-hmm. him to work toward getting his degree but do you remember um, the conversations that you had with him, either encouraging or discouraging the things that he wanted to do? Yeah, well, of course, you know, he and I, uh, before you moved in with us, Kelly, <laughs> it, was, it was just uh, Brad and I, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I listened to what he was doing. And uh, as I say, I was just amazed that he could come up with those tunes. And uh, and then, of course, you got the band together. And with the band comes the, the noise. And with the <laughs> noise comes the neighbors, you know. Yes. So we we lived in uh, uh, on Naples Island here in Alameda Bay in Long Beach, and uh, the the homes are. I mean, you can stand in between the uh, the your, your house and the neighbor's house and spread out your arms and touch both houses, you know. So uh, and, and those guys, of course, uh, they played a lot of uh, 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 places where, as they got better, they were they play later and later on the bill, you know that. The best bands come out last to keep everybody there, I guess. 
And then they, they kept all their gear in my garage, which was on an alley. And, and then the, they, they'd come in at one o'clock in the morning and, and they'd, they'd be all excited. And, and, uh, and my neighbors got all excited and, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were mad. It's too, it's just too sad that we left, but definitely uh, not. Yeah. But, uh, but he, you know, you, you, you could tell that he had it, you know, that, uh, that he had the talent, uh, cause he would come up with a new song and say, Hey, listen to this one. And, 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 and as I say, it's, it's like, it's, it's really, to me, it's, it's, it's like magic that he could just pull that song out of the blue. And, uh, and he wasn't, uh, uh he didn't study music. You know, he's actually he studied finance. I think he, uh, I think he knew he was going to be successful. Might want to how to handle those royalties. <laughs> But uh, and he and you're right about the the school and all. Uh, you know he was uh, he he was a very good student in high school. Graduated with some honors. You know with a ribbon on the uh, on on him when he graduated mm-hmm. and uh, and he went up to uh, Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz, and uh, basically because uh, of the surfing, you know, uh, Steamer Lane and all that stuff up there. But. Uh, Ultimately, uh, you know, he was playing around town and all that kind of stuff. The town's not very big up there, and the music scene's not very big. So, how long did he stay up there? Two years, I think. Two years, yeah. And then, then he called up and said, oh, "I'm coming home." I said, "Well, well, how come? What's the matter?" Because he really liked it when he got up there. Uh, because, uh, well, for one thing, when you go to Santa Cruz, they don't give you grades; they give you pass or fail, so you don't have to sit around. <laughs> and when he came down, he came he came down to Cal State Long Beach. And, uh, and he, he, all he had was pass or fail. So it took them two or three years, which they do at these colleges to sit down because the instructors would, wouldn't just say pass or fail. They give a, a little bit of reason why they you know, why they did it. And, uh, the new school, they'd have to try to read those and figure out what the grade probably would have been in order for him to have a, a GPA, you know, that they could work with. So, uh, but, but at the time, you know, I, when I asked him why he's coming back, he said that the music scene just wasn't big enough in Santa Cruz and uh, and the action was in L.A. So and he was right about that. And uh, and I, I didn't I didn't discourage him uh, at that time. The, uh, the 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 times when I when I when I started being real concerned, unfortunately, was when the uh, was the drug scene, you know, in, in, the, in the music here in L.A. And that's uh and then, and then the more popular they got to be, the more they didn't buy drugs. They would, they would go in for maybe six o'clock for a sound check and they didn't get on till 11 because now they're the popular band, right? So they just sit in a room and, and fans come in and they bring, they bring the, the, the booze and the, and the drugs and everybody gets high. And a lot of, a lot of the shows that they did weren't very good. You know, they were, because they were just too far gone. Yeah. But, uh, but the the best show that I that we ever saw was the last one we saw was up at the mm-hmm. House of Blues in L.A. and uh, and my wife and I figured well we'll we'll beat this deal we'll get there for sound check so uh, <laughs> so we, we grabbed him you know after sound check and uh, and he was so excited he was playing at the House of Blues and and he he we we went around and showed me all the different private rooms they had up there and. And we kept him busy until he got on, and it was the best show he ever did. So I was so happy we got a chance to see that. You know, when uh, 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 you know something that uh, that the band did when they were sober, they were so much better. You know, uh, the other the other bands uh, on that night 
all pretty much sounded alike. You know, they were fast tempoed. Uh, you know, the people went into a mosh pit. We were up in the balcony, staying away from those mosh pits. But they uh, they would they would dance around and have a great time. Uh, but when uh, when Sublime came on, the whole uh, the whole room, the vibe was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody starts swinging back and forth, you know, and and the girls would get up there by the stage, you know, and just ha uh, 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 you know, like, <laughs> and 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 they didn't do that for the other bands. So uh, you know, we, we we knew that they had something that the other other people didn't have, you know. And it wasn't the costumes because uh, Brad didn't wear a shirt most of the time, you know, he's fairly dressed. And I said, what's Maybe with that? Maybe it was the lack of costumes. <laughs> no, well, I said, well, what's the deal? How come, you know, you're, you're ruining your guitars because you're sweating on your guitars. He said, well, the problem is, you know, the, these different clothing companies, you know, they, they compass, you know, for their clothes. And so you can't go and wear one guy's clothes and the other guy's unhappy with you. So he said, oh, just won't, won't wear any clothes. Well, of course, he wore pants, but other than that. Sometimes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> most of the time. But it, but it was very it was very interesting and uh, but and and the the uh, the the problem that, that we had for the last couple of years was very severe because of the drugs and uh, and it was very hard on everybody. It was hard on him. It was hard on Kelly. It was certainly hard on my on on myself and and my wife. You know, just because we never knew when we were going to get the call when we finally did. You know that uh, so many other families that have uh, the kids that get into drugs uh, get that call too and and you just uh, you know you just you just uh, at night you just worry that uh, the phone's gonna ring but other than that the music came out good you know yeah it, cer- it certainly did i always i always joke with kelly because the Knoll family foundation uh, which you guys can visit at the knollfamilyfoundation.org uh two of the the biggest sellers on the merch is the t-shirts and the socks and i'm like yeah the you know brad brad probably didn't even own any t-shirts or socks <laughs> when he you you look at pictures of him and he's never got on socks or t-shirts and so we appreciate the support it's awesome but i'm sure he's somewhere giggling thinking socks <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he, and, he, go ahead Dad. He, well he got away with it because occasionally he's served and kind of keep us keep you know uh keep himself in some halfway decent shape you know but uh so that helped but you're right uh, his 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 wardrobe was very light very light one of my favorite youtube videos is um actually i believe it's at the the weenie roast and uh mm-hmm. brad Brad goes up to do a song with No Doubt and Gwen Stefani and uh, Gwen says, oh, Bradley, you look lovely today. <laughs> and, and we had a and, and, you know, we had a nice chubby Brad at that point. And Brad kind of patted on his belly with both hands and he said, yes, I'm prosperous. <laughs> and uh it's it's always been one of my always been one of my favorites this this is a good question for either of you guys because i i heard it mentioned in an interview recently and i guess i don't know if it's true you hear the tone or the term tossed around a lot did did bradley have perfect pitch um i'm not sure uh his mother did uh his mother uh and i were yes. high, high school sweethearts and uh her mother was a music teacher and uh, you know how uh, when, when kids are learning the alphabet you have the little cards you know and you flip it up and they tell you what it is uh her mother would give her a sound and and she learned uh, which note that was 
So uh, other people, you know, they say, well, we're going to play it in D. Well, you know where D is on your guitar, so you play it on your guitar. But you, if you could ask her, uh, you know, we're going to do this in D, and, and she would hum a D so everybody would be on the same pitch. And she'd just pull it up out of the air. And uh, she was, the, she was the, uh, the best high school flute player in the state of California and got a, got a, uh, uh, a, uh, yeah, I got a scholarship to uh, Marymount. Yeah. They, uh, they, uh, they, uh, I don't know, they're just, they're doing, they're doing some stuff with the college down there, but they, they uh, went in with Loyola. So it was Loyola Marymount, but it was just a small school uh, across the street from Greenland uh, out on the Palos Verdes Peninsula location, but isolated. But she was, uh, she was the one that really had the talent. But what she couldn't do is what is, and what always amazed her is, is what Brad could do, you know, and play all these different genres. And, uh, and, 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 and every, every once in a while he'd be over and he'd do some jazz riffs, maybe on the piano or something. And she was just uh, aghast that anybody could do that because she, you know, she, she could read music and she knew how to do that. But uh, but she couldn't uh, pull it out of the air like uh, like Brad could like not too many people can really. Yeah, it was just actually just in an interview recently, and it was actually Paul Leary who who said you know Brad had had perfect pitch, and he said it actually as a musician it's it's not fair listening to him <laughs> because he's as good on the guitar as he is singing. And yeah. it, it's just, he goes, you know, it's just, it's really not fair how good he was at, at both of those things. Um, and I know that perfect pitch is not something that's easy to, to obtain. Um, but I guess it's possible if, it, if, if his mom had it, it's, uh, it's certainly possible that it's a, something that he picked up uh, well, along the way. A lot of, a lot of the guitar players do. I was reading uh, one of uh, Paul McCartney's uh, interviews because he's got a book out or something now. And he never wrote the music down. He did, you know, the, he, he would just, uh, he would just hum it and, and then add the words to it and away they go. And the, the next time he'd hum the same thing. And, and that's as close to perfect pitch as, you know, uh, to be able to do that. And, and that was the same way with Brad. He didn't, uh, he, he wouldn't know how to write it down. You know, he didn't, he had no interest in, in, in learning that because he didn't have to because he could remember the melody and, and bring it up anytime he wanted. That, that to me was very, very amazing too. I don't know how they do it. I, I don't know. He was, he was, he was really, really a talented musician. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. He stayed around long enough for us to get more stuff out of him, you know? For sure. I, I know I watched a, a documentary and I know Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys was, was very similar. Um, and in fact, he set up a recording session and had like a room full of uh, <clears throat> musicians, like an entire orchestra there. And they were all waiting for their sheet music. And he yeah. just kind of walked around the room <laughs> and said, OK, now you're going to go. Right. And then you're going to go, and they're all just looking at each other like, what the hell is he talking about <laughs> right now? But in his mind, he knew exactly what he wanted everyone's section and sound to, to sound like. And he just would, would hum it to them and then say, now do, now do that. What, uh, what a difference. What a difference. Isn't that like, like, like his mother always played in symphonies and things like that, but she couldn't come up. She couldn't do that. Uh, you know, she, she couldn't, uh, she had to have it written down. And and I don't know whether that's a, a good or bad, you know. But uh, but I'm sure glad he wrote what he did, you know, because it's uh, it's uh, 
it's a lot of fun to to listen to it you know and we we live uh we live on alameda bay here so uh, on nice days you know we get a lot of boats going by and stuff and and a lot of them will uh, put sublime on their on, on their boat radios you know and, and blast it as they go by and it's fun you know i had a fun question that that came in and I know I kind of asked you a little bit about this the last time that you were on, uh, but like I said, we're turning this one over to the fans. So um, Michael from Facebook asked, uh, was it weird being a child celebrity for, for really nothing? I mean, at, at, at the time that you were a kid, you weren't a musician yet, but you know, people knew you and wanted to know about your life. And, you know, I, I had mentioned it. I had your baby picture hanging on my bedroom wall. <laughs> Um, you, you know what I mean? Like I had, totally. I, had that, I had that picture of your dad hold, with you in the backpack. Um, you know, that was Kelly. I told you I cut my whole fucking book up because I wanted to decorate <laughs> my, uh, I had the, I had the foolish fool book and we cut out all the pictures and decorated our, our first apartment in them. So, um, was it weird for you, for, you know, people to approach you and talk to you and, 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 and to want to know about you as a, as a child? Yeah, it, it's one of those things where, like, I'm going to start by saying, like, no one is at fault at the end of the day. It's tough because I have things that I think are really cool that totally speak to me and, you know, explain some uh, a huge facet of who I am. And to uh, be close to something like that, I'd be so curious. So I, I get it. And at first, it's not a bad thing because it's just like, oh, these people are interested in stuff. Um, but um, I would say on the whole, it was very negative. <laughs> like that kind of attention was not positive attention. Um, cause there are people who, who want something from you and there's people whose opinions of you change. And it, and it's tough for me to even say stuff like that because then there's also a huge camp of people who go, you ungrateful, uh, kid, you know, how, how dare you, you know, if I had it, how you had it, if only, you know, the, and who's really to say, you know, uh, I, I guess, you know, what are the exa- examples are like, okay, you know, some kids find out on the playground because uh, a parent told another parent or something. That, that's nice. Um, now those kids are making fun of me because my dad died of drugs or something like that. Or now those kids, uh, you know, if you beat them at a, a game or something, it's like, well, you just you just think you're so cool because your dad is was in a band. You know, like it's like, what? Uh, OK, that that's a little odd. You know, do you uh, remember so any of those kids names? <laughs> Not off the top of my head. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, though. I know there, there was no. I wish I did. <laughs> put them, put them on blast right now. I wish I did. No, it, or like you know, a, a waiter or a waitress. You know, we uh, happen to mention it in passing when I'm with family members. Okay, that's cool. And then they come back with their their boyfriend, and then their you know, and then also their their son, and then their dad, and they all have shirts that they want signed. And it's like, okay, this is a little bit too much now, or. Uh, a girl at school wants me to be her boyfriend in, in middle school. That, that That's nice. Oh, turns out it's only because her friends told her about this thing and they set the whole thing up and we actually have nothing in common. And this is incredibly awkward and uncomfortable now. Like just it colorized my entire youth about like this looming hanging over thing that I, you know, there's always this, this other thing that is going to affect how people see me, you know? And um, it's weird because it wasn't like being the son of like a humongous movie star like a guy who's super relevant the people who are super into sublime it's like a it's almost like a cult following like the biggest mm-hmm. cult following in the world like rush fans kind of but like 
but like the SoCal vibe. And like, I didn't, I never fit in with any people would meet me. And just like the whole Pennywise guys thinking I ought to know all the lyrics without <laughs> looking at them. It's like, what, you don't surf, you don't skate, you don't, you right. don't do any of the California things that define California or your father's music. Uh, and I'm, I, it, it bums me out. I'm like, man, I'm sorry, but no, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> trying to be against those things. I don't, I don't not do those because I want to be different. I just, it just didn't shake out that way. I'm not the guy. I'm not the inheritor of the, of the flame here. I'm not the, the prince of, of that was promised, you know, I'm just, I'm just me, man. <laughs> like, and so, um, it, it always was definitely, uh, a unique weird challenge it's fun fun to talk about and tell people because it, 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 it's kind of a trip when you think about it well i think and you know again just to see what you're doing um i mean super creative incredibly smart uh amazing stage presence you are that inheritor of that but you're just doing it your own way with your own style and i don't think there's anything wrong with that at all um, and, you know, we just, we listened to, to your grandpa talk about how he loved to play music and he played a completely different kind of music. Brad didn't, Brad wasn't playing folk tunes like, like, right. like grandpa was. So I don't think there's anything wrong with, with that at all. Kelly, I got to ask you now watching Jake get older, um, you know, outside of, of the voice, which at times is uncanny, Jake, um, are there totally. things, are there things that you notice that, that Jake is, is a lot like your brother? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's always have been similar mannerisms and vocal inflections just, you know, when he talks and that kind of thing that, I mean, it's, it's undeniable, you know, but you know, you see that, with lots of families. And so most of the time it doesn't seem unusual. I think it's more amplified because Brad's gone. And so it, it becomes this little, you know, little thread to hang on to some little, you know, little special thing. But um, yeah, I mean, he, there's, there's definitely a lot of similarities, which I think is, is such um, an interesting thing since, you know, Jake was 11 months old when his dad passed away. But um but yeah, and, and I think there will always be those things just like, you know, everybody's, everybody's child has. Um, but I will say, and I'm, I've been trying really hard not to say this, but really like that last answer that you just gave Jacob just completely, um, justifies everything that I'm always saying about you. You really have handled it so beautifully. And, and I'm going to try not, not to go off on it because I do have a tendency to do that. But, but I do think that people underestimate how difficult um, things have been for you and in that regard, because most people just want to see the good stuff and, and they don't recognize the bad stuff or understand it or realize the impact of it. And so, you know, when, when Jarrett's saying that you've become a musician in your own right, um, you did that in spite of all that other stuff that, that most people will never understand or see or know about. And, um, and I think that that's, that's something to be super proud of, you know? So, of course, we all feel a bit of an imposter syndrome in, in areas of our life in one way or another, but you've definitely earned where you are right now. And I'm super proud of you for that. Thank you so much. You, it, 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 you have no idea how much that means to me. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I asked and it was funny because the question came up because I, I remember, you know, I'm that guy that goes into the YouTube rabbit holes and I just look for sublime stuff or any type of music stuff. doesn't necessarily have to be sublime, but I right. do know, I, I remember that there was a video of uh, you going to, uh, going to your dad's gravesite and like 
almost like being bombarded by the people that were there. And you were just a teenager. I think you had some, maybe like some crazy Mohawk at the time. Yeah. I remember and, that uh, <laughs> and you know, you, you were just like, you were a kid and people are just like storming and like, Oh my God. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, this is, this is a kid who's visiting his dad's headstone on the anniversary. And people are just like storming him. Like, you know, I, I, you might have like signed some some breasts that day and stuff. Like it, it was like oh you, you, you were yeah, oh yeah signing titties, man. You were a rock star that day. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, oh my gosh, this poor kid. You can tell that like he wants to be respectful, but he's also kind of like, yeah, beat it. You know, don't. So it was just I, when that question came up, it was something that I always thought about, and I have to say that at that very show at, in Alex's your set ended and you were packing up your stuff on stage. And I'm like, fuck, I have to ask to take a picture with him. And I don't want to, because I'm not that guy. Um, but I don't know, you know, I, I'm from the East coast. I don't know when this opportunity will ever come up again. Right. Um, so I, I, I want to do it. And I walked up and I was like, Hey man, would you mind taking a picture? And you're like, yeah, absolutely. Get over here. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, cool. And, you know, I, I never share the picture. Or I don't even know why, but it was just one of those things where it yeah. was like the music meant so much to me and being able to be there on that day with all of those people coming together for that. Um, and I remembered after taking it, like, man, I kind of feel bad, like, you know, bothering him for, for this. Now, on the flip side, I asked Miguel and he took my phone out of my hand and snapped 47 selfies of the two of us. And he's not, and he's not making the same face in any of the pictures. He's like, That's it's hilarious. like a photo booth. He's like happy yeah. face, surprised face, <laughs> serious face. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, so it was uh, it, it was interesting, but yeah, I uh, I remembered thinking to myself like, gosh, I, I don't ask people for autographs or pictures. It's just not something that I do. But I just couldn't pass it up with you. So I guess I am as guilty as the people that I talk about. Um, <laughs> but at least you had facial hair when I did it, right? Like you, you, it, you were through, you were you were past puberty at least. So yeah. And, um, and it's like a respectful, you know, someone like you coming up. I don't mind that at all. It, it happens sometimes just randomly walking around like, oh, my God. Hey, like if I if I met someone who I like, like, oh, dude, I'm a huge fan of, of X, Y and Z. Is it cool if I snap a quick pic, man? Like and, and that that stuff is awesome to me. And and that's like where it's always like there's that line where it's like it'll start like that. And then the people who take it over the line are the ones who like it's always like some uh, some older like gentleman or lady. And they're they're like in tears and they're just like they smell they reek of booze and they just want to give me a big hug and like it's like mm. that's when it that's when it's like oh it's you're so awkward. Now. I'm sorry I don't know what to say <laughs> very awkward yeah it's very a little awkward, awkward cuz cuz I don't know how to be a, am I am I am I doing it already just am I am I doing a good job like what do you want like, oh, but, but and so yeah there I I do love when when fans are there and just you know it, it means a lot to them, and I love it. Just as a, a fellow human, as someone who can help them out with something that's important to them, like, fuck, I mean, heck, yeah. no problem, man. You know, like, I think it's um, when you brought up the grave site thing. Yeah, that's one of those weird things where it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't go to visit anymore. I went to, used to go all the time during either the anniversary of his death and birthday, um, with my parents, I think, um, 
but yeah, they, it, there's some fans are super nice and cool and it was great to connect with them and that sort of thing. And some of them weren't and wanted to give me their opinions on like how I ought to, to do my life and stuff like that, <laughs> which is weird. And then this one time, one of my ex, one of my ex girlfriends like called me and was like, I can't, I can't believe you're not here right now on this special day. I'm like, okay, I wish I had never met you. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. Why would you say that? That's so crazy. So now that's so creepy. Like I just, I never go down anywhere. The times I do go to visit are, are not on those days. Cause I'd rather, you know, everyone else has the luxury of going to, to mourn in, in peace uh, with well, their own thoughts. Yeah. Well, right. dude, let me tell you, um, and I, I'm going to get some shit, but weird shit goes on there on those days. And you're doing yourself a favor <laughs> so true, dude. by, uh, <laughs> by, by not being there. And, you know, I told, I told Kelly some of the stories uh, from being there and she's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's why I don't go on those days. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, whatever, Kelly, like we would know if you're there or not, you don't have any pictures. Anyway. No one knows who you are. <laughs> For all I know, you were there. For all I know, you're the person I'm telling this story about right now. Uh, so it was. Uh, so I, I don't. I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I know you got a lot going on. You're super busy. So I'm gonna give you a chance to do a little bit of promoting and plugging, and I'm gonna satisfy about like 12 different people who asked the question. What's going on with law? What's next? Where can we see? You? When can we expect new music? Of course, man. Thank you so much. Uh, when is this airing? Because that might affect when. On Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday. Okay, cool. That's perfect. Well, then two days after when this airs on Friday, we're going to be playing Venice West, a, a venue in uh, in Venice Beach. That's the next show. You can come check us out at. Fancy. Um, uh, we're also going to be playing like a big, um, oh, I think it's a Sublime Anniversary show uh, at Soma San Diego. Um yeah, I think that's what it is. Uh, yeah, it's going to be really cool. A bunch of other bands are playing. Long Beach Dub, Head P, um, Fishbone. So that'll be really cool. That is in uh, uh, December 3rd. And uh, as far as new music, uh, we should have uh, singles dropping hopefully early next year. It, it's been in backlog because we're working on the right pr- promotion and trying to get everything, all our ducks in a row. But we do have a fully recorded, mixed and mastered album. Um, called Lawful Evil. It's we're sitting on it. It exists, everybody. It's real, and um, we're looking to release it at the at the very latest, uh, uh, you know, next year. So um, probably next, summer next year is when I would see it coming out. Great. Awesome. And I I saw that you were did did you already play at the festival? You like opened up for Metallica, right? Oh, it was so cool, man. It was so much. Yeah, we just played Aftershock. That was in October. And uh, definitely the biggest crowd we've played for yet. It was just enormous, thousands of people, totally packed, and uh, just just an awesome festival altogether. And uh, Metallica, all, all, of course, did awesome. They played an amazing set. Well, Kelly, as far as a one-year anniversary episode goes, I couldn't ask for anything more. Your dad, Jake, Miguel, Todd, some of uh, my favorite guests, some of our most downloaded episodes, and I know some of your favorite people in the entire world. Absolutely. It was so great to have them all in one episode. (laughs) So much fun. Really great talking with them and really great questions from the fans too. It was really, really awesome that people took the time to come up with good, thoughtful questions. 
Yes, absolutely. So thank you to everybody who has sent those mm-hmm. questions and thank you to everybody who's downloaded and shared and hit yes. the like over the last year. It really means so much to us. Uh, of course, uh, another thank you to our sponsors, Savage CBD and uh, our friends over at Jerome's Furniture. Uh, Kelly, what's the website again for Jerome's? Jerome's is jeromes.com. Super easy to find. J-E-R-O-M-E-S. Dot com. Make sure to check it out. And especially if you're in the Southern California area, they've got, what was it like 24 stores or something in the Southern California area. So definitely check them out. Absolutely, guys. And uh, don't forget to check the Knoll Family Foundation out at thenollfamilyfoundation.org. You can pick up all your Bradley's House and Knoll Family Foundation merch, find out ways that you can get included making donations. Uh, it, it goes a long way. Go ahead and share that link on your social media. Help us spread the word so we can get Bradley's house up and built. Uh, that is the goal of this podcast. That's the goal of the Noel Family Foundation. So uh, if you guys are enjoying what we're doing here, a like, a share, or a quick dollar donation, it goes a long way. Definitely. Now, now we are going to end you guys uh, with another song off of the compilation album, The House That Bradley Built. And I think, Kelly, it's fitting. I want to go ahead. We talked about this. How can we not play Rivers of Babylon? Two of our guests, your dad, Brad's son. And I just love that song. I totally agree. It just seems like the right one, even though we have played it a couple times. Just it was such a meaningful song. And so many people reached out and said how touched they were by it when they heard the album and and that that song in particular really spoke to them. So I think it's a perfect way to end our anniversary show. So do I. Guys, uh, you already know the house that Bradley built compilation. It's available from our friends at law-records.com. Go ahead and pick that up. All the proceeds go directly to the Noel Family Foundation. Uh, Thank you so much for a wonderful year, Kelly, Anna, and all of our listeners. Uh, It really has been amazing and look forward to getting some more shows out to you. But for this week, I'm Jared Orr. She's Kelly Noel. We're out of time. You don't have to go home, but it's time to leave Bradley's house. Oh
How can we sing the songs of 